the 11th, 2016, to order. Let the record show that the meeting started at 5 o'clock. Um, councillors should have an agenda in front of them. Um, administration has requested one addition uh, to the, uh, the one that was posted on Friday, and that was to add uh, the minutes of March 29th, for approval to the adoption of the minutes itinerary. Are there any uh, other additions or deletions required? Uh, yes, Your Worship, being that uh, we have a fair size audience here this evening, I'd like to ask that we move item number eight under new business, North Peace Navigators, to the top of the list, please. Okay. We'll see if that passes pass, uh, council vote. But that's one of the... Uh, Amendments, Mr. Ford would like to see. Any others? Okay, I will entertain a motion to adopt the agenda as uh, amended. Councillor Benke. All in favor of Councillor Benke's motion? Passed. That takes us to the adoption of minutes. There are four sets of draft minutes. Uh, so I will start with the one from uh, the minutes of the special council meeting held on January the 4th, 2016. Are there any additions or deletions or clarifications required there? <clears throat> Your Worship, I would uh, move the minutes of uh, January the 4th as presented. All in favor of Councillor Needham's motion? Passed. Uh, our, that takes us to the minutes of the February 22nd, 2016 regular meeting of council. Uh, are there any additions, deletions, or clarifications required there? Neither hearing nor seeing any, I will entertain a motion to, uh, to accept them as I so move. Presented. All in favor of Deputy Mayor Manzer's motion? Passed. That takes us to the minutes of the March 14, 2016 regular meeting of council. Uh, any additions, deletions, or clarifications required there? If none, uh, I'll, uh, I'll take a motion. I'll make the motion for worship to adopt the draft minutes of March 14th as presented. All in favor of Councillor Burr's motion? Passed. Uh, the last set of minutes is, are the minutes from March 29, 2016, regular meeting of the council. Uh, are there any changes required there? Do you have time to read them? Uh, well, we can uh, table them if that's your motion. I'd like to table them so we have a chance to read them. Okay. All in favor of Councillor Burr's motion? Passed. Those minutes will be tabled to uh, to the next regular meeting of council. Um, Mr. Parker, are there any public hearings? There are none, Your Worship. Okay, thank you. That takes us to presentations. We have two presentations this evening. Uh, the first one will be from STARS, and the uh, second one will be from the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, also known as CAF. And so, uh, stars, if you would please come up to the table and present yourselves, and just remind me what the acronym sta STARS stands for. Shock Trauma Air Rescue Service. 
Okay, there we are. Yeah, thank you. If you could uh, turn on the microphones and uh, just read your names into the record, if you could. Sure. So, uh, good evening. My name is Michael Macchia. I am the Vice President of Operations for STARS in Alberta. I'm Steve Smith, Director of Flight Operations. I'm Dr. Mike Bessner, one of the Medical Directors for STARS in Alberta. Okay. Greg Schmidt, Base Director for Grand Prairie Operations. Great. Hey, welcome, gentlemen. Good, yeah, great. Good to uh, good to be here. Us. Thanks for having us. Um, so, this is just an opportunity for us to come and uh, discuss with you uh, an event that you know all that's happened with our landing zone here at the Peace River Hospital. We were utilizing a landing zone for the last uh, number of years that is, we've had to discontinue operations. So, we're really here to tell you a bit about how that's transpired and sort of the rules that uh, that we have to follow under Transport Canada. I brought my team really to explain how that all works. And then hopefully we can answer uh, some of your questions that you may have. And maybe I think key thing would be about next steps. What do we think uh, are some of the key steps for this community and how we're going to continue to support you, and as well as how do we continue to support our partners that uh, uh, support this area here as well. So I believe you have a presentation that you may have had printed or electronic or... Um, yeah, well... Do you have it seen on your... You saw it on your... Okay, okay great. Can, so why don't we just uh, go through... Um, and, and Steve Smith, our director here of uh, the aviation side of a business, can take you through the, the why now. Why all of a sudden now? Sure. So. Well, as part of our ongoing uh, quality assurance of landing zone sites, helipads, and uh, landing zones in the case of uh, Peace River, we're constantly reviewing them for uh, safe, best safety practices and regulatory compliance. Uh, in the case of a landing zone, one of the key areas we need to focus on is regula maintaining regulatory compliance. These are typically not protected areas. And... By that I mean uh, as areas, as development happens around those sites, we're not able to continue necessarily to use them in a routine um, operation, either for medevac or, or otherwise. So on the, uh, on the presentation here, just to kind of highlight where, where we're at the location, I'm not sure if it... Uh, It'll be right on front oh, of yours. On your screens. So. Um, it's so, yeah. on our screens, but our, uh, budget, our uh, communications officer is trying to put it on the uh, okay. public screens. Here's the first one, Steve. Sure. And you can see it there. Yeah, you bet. Wait for that to wait for that to come up. But some of the regulations that we need to just a, a brief overview of, of the regulatory environment we deal with, Transport Canada. Um, we need to be able to uh, maintain They'll be able to see it, though. Okay. Yeah. Uh, adequate, uh, clean approach and departure paths, not presenting any uh, hazard to persons or people on the ground. We need to be able to get in and out of these locations without flying typically over top of or in close proximity to any structures or people. Um, you'll see on the presentation here an overview, um, a satellite image from uh, of the Peace River Hospital area. It's not the most current, but as we move through here, will uh, highlight some of the development. You can see in the top corner, top left corner, the prevailing wind. That's typically the approach uh, and departure direction that we would uh, need to be using in and out of the area. And the approach um, coming in from the, typically the north uh, uh, northeast down to the southwest, and that was what we had been using to keep uh, maintain clearance from obstacles and people in the, uh, on the ground. And then a departure path. Um, the preferred departure path again, so we didn't depart over top of the hospital or um, any other other structures. There was down to the south, and then a uh, kind of a right turn at the prevailing westerly winds as well. Okay, 
So with that in mind, as we look at the uh, area surrounding the hospital, we have in the last few years uh, the new Alberta Health uh, facility that's been built just west of the, or correction, just east of the hospital. And that had an impact on our, our uh, uh, approach in and out uh, so that we didn't uh, uh, transition over top of, of the building or the parking lots because um, we do need to be, unless we're in the last phase of the approach, a thousand feet above a building and typically 500 feet away laterally. Um, and that building now is within uh, what, 150 feet of the landing zone, which became uh, a bit of a challenge. Um, Hotel Nova is there. Yeah, and then we have the Hotel Nova as well and the uh, seniors' apartment complex uh, residence, the Super 8, and as we transition forward, the Ford dealership, some of the other structures that have slowly uh, but steadily built up around that area, uh, causing a more challenging approach and departure paths um, and the existing homes on the north side of the highway that we need to avoid. The green areas are ready for development um, at this point, but um, looking where the, where the winds are located and where, where we're located on the grounds there, it has become um, virtually impossible to maintain clearance uh, to land in that area. Now, it is important to keep in mind it's a landing zone that's been set aside. It's not a heliport or a, uh, a certified aerodrome. Um, so if we're using these sites more than once for, and it's an area that's been set aside for the operation of an aircraft, there's a series of regulations that need to be in place in terms of distances and uh, landing zone securities and fences and helipads and, and those types of uh, those types of infrastructure, which we don't have uh, at this location. And some other pictures you can see just from ground level um, where we're sitting on the pad looking west from the northwest corner of the landing zone. There's the apartment complex and the seniors um, center. And uh, again, looking from the at the hospital from the west on 101st Street, there you can get a better picture of some of the uh, the infrastructure around there that has caused um, uh, presented a challenge for routine, safe, um, or uh, regulatory compliant approach and departure paths. And then distance from surrounding buildings, you can see we're looking for 500 feet uh, from buildings on the ground and the uh, the Alberta Health. The, the proximity of that to the, the, the available landing site is uh, well within that 500-foot distance given that it's not a protected uh, heliport at this point. So, um, yeah, as I said earlier in uh, the ongoing kind of quality and regulatory review that we're doing, um, it's every six months to a year, and we've been able to kind of mitigate approach and departure paths, but unfortunately it's reached the point in this particular uh, location that we are... Uh, uh, not able to continue to go in and out of there as a, as a temporary landing zone, which is why we've transitioned to the airport. And I'll let Mike and Greg explain that process a little bit further here. Okay, and I'm going to pass it on to one of our physicians, Dr. Betzner, because, you know, we are in a little bit of an interim phase here right now because we're actually going to the airport. So really, what does that mean from a patient care point of view for citizens of Peace River and surrounding areas? So maybe Michael give you sort of a little two-minute behind the scenes of what happens for our patients in this community. Yeah, thanks, Mike. So I think the important thing to understand is STARS is a much bigger entity than just a helicopter uh, company. Um, you know, we, we take calls in the emergency link center uh, for both northern and southern Alberta through rapid uh, in the south and, and rapid in the north, which are single point of entry into um, healthcare, basically for rural physicians and, and emergency providers. And our flight physicians, like myself, or transport physicians, provide advice 
and triage and figure out how to move patients uh, from wherever they are to the best possible destination for them. And, and the helicopter is a tool. We absolutely use it. But, of course, you have a very capable fixed-wing operator in this area that does a very good job. And uh, we coordinate uh, those missions as well. And so from a patient point of view, we're certainly not abandoning the patients in Peace River in any way, shape, or form from a medical uh, perspective. It is going to take us uh, in the realm of about 20 to 25 extra minutes to move somebody with an acute problem. Right now, that's unsurmountable. We can't really get past that. Uh, that's very, very few patients that are going to be affected by that, but it's nonetheless a real number, and we're aware of that, as are your local physicians and EMS providers. But suffice it to say that, you know, uh, these patients are still going to be pr uh, provided for. They're still going to get care, and they're still going to get advice that they need to move them, whether it be to Grand Prairie or move them to Edmonton or, or wherever they need to go. And uh, we work in concert with fixed-wing providers, with ground EMS, and, of course, with our STARS crews. As physician, we consider ourselves platform agnostic, and so does the STARS Emergency Link Center um, in trying to help people by whatever means is necessary to move them for whatever help that they need. Uh, so certainly we're still going to be engaged with the local medical community here and, and uh, we'll still be available to talk to them 24-7, 365. And the helicopter is still going to be used sometimes to move patients um, depending on their care needs. Uh, you know, if fixed wings out or the care needs of the patients are such that uh, we need to bring a physician up sometimes, which is rare but happens, um, you know, that's still going to be coordinated out of, out of STARS and, and, and assisted by our, our base in Grand Prairie. Um, so we're certainly, again, not abandoning this community. Um, that closure of the, of the temporary landing zone aside, uh, you're certainly still going to see the red helicopter coming in here from time to time. And, and in the background, uh, we're heavily involved with moving any critical patient uh, in this province. Um, so then as we continue to move on, uh, with Greg being here, our... Um our local uh, base director for operations. Really, we want to focus on, and again, maybe how about I just stop there first just to field any questions that the council may have, Your Worship, and uh, then we can get into maybe about some next steps because that may be a more of a longer conversation. Depends on how. So you said something about um, what we have right now is a landing zone, not a heliport. <laughs> Um, the difference being? A heliport is a, uh, a protected piece of land under the Aeronautics Act where um, there's safety zones that need to be in place and a, a surface and approach, approach and departure paths have been assessed for uh, obstacle uh, clearance. Um, a landing zone, a temporary landing zone, uh, such as what we've been doing here, is effectively just anywhere we would we would land the helicopter and when it becomes a built-up area um, and there there's more interaction with some of the other infrastructure and people and persons on the ground that's where it it kind of elevates to another threshold where whereby that landing zone if we're going to use it more than one occasion uh, regardless whether it's for the purpose of saving human life or just regular operations that's where it needs to be uh, further evaluated and and uh, more structured infrastructure um, around it so it needs to be needs to be protected so in this case it's it's just like a patch of land we would land the helicopter anywhere but when that area becomes built up around it then it uh and we don't have effectively a, a clean approach in and out without um either overflying or encroaching upon some of the the minimum altitudes and distances then it needs to be uh further evaluated and designated as a, a purpose uh, 
Okay, specific so this piece of land. if you needed to land the helicopter at the hospital because of whatever reasons, you would still do that if it was emergent enough or not? Not, uh, not anymore. In the eyes of Transport Canada, even in the, in the, uh, there are provisions for landing aircraft for the purpose of saving human life. But once um, that has been set aside, regardless, and it's, it's highlighted from a regulatory perspective, um, specifically for areas around hospitals across the country. Um, once that's been set aside for that, uh, and you're going to be landing there more than once, then that you know, next threshold of regulatory requirement kicks in. So in this case, um, no, it would need to be, uh, from, from a Transport Canada viewpoint, it would need at this point, given its location, to be a heliport, a registered or a certified heliport. So instead of landing at the hospital, you would land at the airport if a fixed wing could not do the job? Yes, that's correct. I've got lots of questions, but I'm not sure we want to be here for another, another 20 minutes. But I should squeeze mine in before yours. <laughs> I'm trying to think, how, how does Edmonton have one, two, three rotary uh, bases at hospitals? Grand Prairie does. Uh, um, I don't know. I just shrug my shoulders and say, well, I, I, I guess if the federal government's going to regulate this, there's, there's no use wasting everybody's time talking about it. Let's just move on. But I, I, th I think STARS has lost your competitive advantage. Um, why, why would, when, as the doctor suggested, when you have Northern Air sitting there that flies at a much higher rate of speed than your helicopter, um, I'm trying to think of an example when we would use a helicopter. I mean... So I think there's lots, actually. Uh, um, you know, um, if the fixed wing's here, ready to go, absolutely that's the modality to use in a time-dependent situation. That implies, of course, they're here, which they're not always going yeah, to be. And which implies that STARS isn't here either. It's got to come from Grand Prairie, yeah. but please carry on. Yeah, and, and we've got a chart of call that gives us all those numbers. So in real time, when a call comes in medically and we're trying to adjudicate what's the best possible way to move a patient in the safest possible manner, we've got all that information and data. There's also scene calls that we do around this area. Which calls? Scene calls. Accidents. I don't... Okay. Uh, sorry, do you have a question about no, that? No, okay. I didn't know what your word was. I yeah, didn't understand so your word. Yeah, scene calls are, you know, where we're landing at accident scenes, industrial accidents, and other things in this area that... But, uh, but landing beside a hospital isn't an industrial site or an accident scene. So, again, this speaks to regulations, right? As soon as, as, soon as you have... Uh, an identified built-up area around a place where you land more than once, all of these extra rules kick in, which we don't have any control over. We can't fix that. Well, That's not us. That's, you know, those are the rules of government. Even though we've been landing there for years, and we could land there on a one-off incident if it was the very first time, once we've done that once, you can't do it again unless you meet all the requirements of Transport Canada. That's the bottom line. As soon as that deficit is identified, it's game over yeah. for no, Like I said, I, I don't, I'm not going to get an argument with STARS, but I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed. Uh, like I said, I, I see ground ambulance kicking in. Why, why would we call a, a, a helicopter to go to up to Weberville to pick up somebody at a medical vehicle accident? You'd put them in a ground ambulance to take them to right, right to Northern Air, and they'd be gone. You're not going to wait for a helicopter to come Again, from. provided the fixing providers are here, that's a great option. Uh, there's also the option in weather circumstances where, where you know, sometimes fixing can't go, uh, where ground ambulance will meet us somewhere. So, so you'd, you'd pick up somebody at Weberville, fly them to the Peace River Airport, put them in a ground ambulance to take them down to the Peace River Hospital? Or you would 
carry on back to Grand Prairie, or depending on the situation. It depends on the situation. All of that's in flux. It really yeah, depends. It, there's, there's a ton of variables that come into medical decisions. I guess my knowledge. argument's with Department of Transport, not with STARS or the medical team, but I think it's... It's you know stars as billed as the as the mass unit that could land on a well site, could land on a cut line, can and, land on a highway, and we can yeah, land we on a highway. Yeah. Like yeah. why? Yeah. And what we, the hell? We can and continue to do that, uh, but where it becomes uh, uh, a hospital in a built-up area. Um, like the, the, the facilities in Edmonton all have certified or registered heliports, uh, and that's what we're missing in this in this situation. Tono Fire Department, they'll close the road down for 15 minutes while you land. I mean, yeah. So in the event of a mass casualty incident, if that was actually the case, we could do that in the town of Peace River. If there's a mass casualty incident and we need to land, we'd shut down the roads yeah. and we would land. Well, I, like I said, I don't want to distract your presentation. No. I, I think you guys have got a plan here, and perhaps the deputy mayor and I have interrupted you, but I, I just don't get it. But uh, you do what you have to do. Uh, I don't know where the docks are in town on this, Dr. Lundgaard and company, but... Um, I guess uh, I guess they'll weigh in as well at some point. So. Well, undoubtedly, our physicians will be talking to your physicians in real time when these medical situations arise to figure out the best way to move the patient. And, and you name it, there's combinations and variables that we um, come up with to solve these issues. And again, we're not just a helicopter company. I, I need to make that very clear. We, we'll move that patient by whatever means is necessary to get them between A and B and make sure they're looked after all the way there. And so our, our what, what did you said, mean by you're not just a helicopter company? I so, didn't, so I didn't understand that. So we have a massive that. infrastructure and communication in the STARS Emergency Link Center that handles all of the, uh, the sickest patient transports in Alberta. They all come through our Emergency Link Center. And then consequently, a transport physician like myself, who's on call in real time, 24-7, 365, gets on the phone with your physicians or physicians anywhere or EMS providers and comes up with plans for moving patients. And a good percentage of the time, that's not the helicopter. It's helping with the fixed wing service. We, we talk to your fixed wing guys. Perhaps that's not clear. Well, when they're I, looking for yeah, medical I, advice, I would like to think that the doctors in Peace River talk to the fixed wing guys, and I would like to think that if the patient is critical enough condition that the doc gets on the plane and, and goes with the patient. As a matter of fact, I'm sure that's happened. In, so in I, rare I just, circumstances it does, but very, very, very infrequently. Yeah. And actually medical control to the crews does not come from the local physicians, other than when, when they're physically present in the hospital picking up the patient. Absolutely, they're yeah. talking to the crew, of course. Well, maybe you're but adding, once they leave, they're talking to one of us. If, if, if you're adding some added value to the current ambulance system in Alberta, then I guess I don't understand what that is. But as you're speaking, I'm getting a, a better grasp of it. But that's, that's not my understanding. And... <laughs> And that's part of the reason, uh, Council, that's why we're here as well, to talk. It's, it's about the helipad, but there's other things we're doing behind the scenes as well, too, to help with your patients in Peace River. And we can help with that because I know we can take up a lot of time uh, for sure. I'm, uh, I'm good with my questions. Okay, thank you. Your Mayor. Uh, I should just ask the question, well, how often over the last uh, three years have you had to utilize the hospital landing zone? So uh, taking a look back at stats, uh, in the last kind of fiscal period, it was about 13 times that we landed there. So it was 13 times. Uh, 13 times in the last year? In the last fiscal period, yeah. So that would have been ending, uh, 20. ending of March. So okay. um, looking back at stats over kind of the, the nine years that STARS has been in existence in Grand Prairie, it averages out to be about month, once a month. So, you know, there's obviously times where it kind of increases a little bit and times where it decreases, but on average it's about once a month. Really? Wow. And in the last month, of, correct me if I'm wrong, we have had a rendezvous at the airport. Yeah. Again, because the fixed-wing provider was, was tasked already. That's going to happen. 
Um, and so how much, what does that look like going forward for a number of trips? We'll have to wait and see, but it's still happening now since well, the pilot I, I, closed. I, I, like I said, I, I've seen the I've seen the stretcher come out of the ambulance door. The ambulance door goes up. The nursing staff take the patient down down the paved ramp, put it in your helicopter, and they're gone. Like it's yeah, wow. Like that's how the system needs to work. Absolutely, uh, and we're in agreement with you. Uh, There's no question about that's the ideal circumstance. So going to the airport, I just and yes, they're westerly winds, but the odd time they're easterly winds, and then you don't have all that structure to fly over. But. Um, so I guess the next part of your presentation was uh, where do we, what do we need to do to reme remediate the current landing area? Uh, so, uh, oh. Sorry, I think oh, there was a, another, another question. question. Yeah, that was, uh, I come from a fire services background, so I've done the helicopters and extricating patients out of the hills here locally. But so to my understanding, to continue landing at the hospital, we need a facility or a pad like Grand Prairie or like what Valley View has to continue using it operationally as you'd use it as if we landed a helicopter out in the field somewhere to pick up a patient. Effectively, Am I yes. correct yeah. in saying yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that that piece of land would need to be uh, registered or certified. Registered or certified. Yeah, I mean it, it's um, there's different you know different levels of, of equipment there, but effectively, yeah, a protected spot for landing that, that becomes registered. So this is the bad news. You're going to tell me how much that costs, right? Well, I, I wish I could, <laughs> um, but I, I will tell you that there is a process that we would go through, and there's a number oh, okay. of community in Alberta that are going through the process with as a community themselves or in, in cooperation with Alberta Health Services because uh, it sits on Alberta Health Services land, so we'd have to involve them. But there's a lot of initiatives, try initiatives, quad initiatives, where communities come together and get an assessment done because that's the first step is really get an assessment done of what, what's the scope of work and then move forward from there. Yep. So, for, sorry, for that designation then, that would also impact future development guidelines in the area right height restrictions etc cetera, etc cetera. potentially uh depending especially for the um the in, you know kind of area to be development right. developed just north of that pad uh potentially yeah there are different uh criteria there's uh, we have h1 h2 or or an h3 helipad which would uh further impact the performance capabilities of the aircraft coming in out of there so there's lots of uh, what we call h3 helipads in you know major urban centers downtown where aircraft can come and go they they have to meet a performance criteria to in order to to continue to use that the way the pad sits right now um with some some further consultation required there are options there where we can get in and out um but again even if we uh, we're in a situation now where um even trying to pick our way out depending on the winds or even irrespective of the winds um, there's too much uh, infrastructure in the area to be able to to maintain regulatory compliance but um, yeah it would require uh, certification or registration with some infrastructure to to protect that particular parcel of land um, do you know what Valley View has in terms of a helicopter landing thing at their hospital yeah so they've got a, a certified helipad there it was built uh I want to say it was opened about two to three years ago. I can't remember the exact timing on it. So it was built in cooperation between uh, AHS, the Town of Valley View, as well as the MD uh, Greenview, and uh, Sturgeon Lake uh, Cree Nation as well. So uh, they came together as a group to uh, fundraise the, the three entities and worked with AHS for, uh, for building that. Do you know what that cost? It was in the, in the neighborhood of a quarter million dollars. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but it was in that neighborhood. So. I, more comment. We had a similar, well, not the, this level of detail, but this was kind of discussed as issue. What do we need to do about it with a previous group? And I don't know if any of you guys were here. 
what I took from that is, oh, we don't have to worry about it. And so, to me, I'm kind of a little floored that, you know, you show up now and say, oh, by the way, you know, we can't land at the airport anymore. And I'm thinking, well, and I think I agree with uh, Councillor Needham. I go, why do we even need stars then? Like, how, where's the benefit for the town of Peace River? And I, I hear all this stuff, all the coordination stuff, and but again, I still have a time saying, well, you know, do we really need it? What's what's the value to to our residents to having having that? So, all I can say is I would encourage you, uh, all of you, to take advantage of coming to see us in our link center. Sometimes you can truly see how the system properly works um, in the background because there's there's so much coordination that happens to move patients. It's not just simply they're getting an aircraft and they just go and show up somewhere. Uh, every call takes probably 45 minutes of work to make sure that they're getting to the right person at the right time um, in the right institution that has beds. And this is incredibly um, complex work, uh, way, way, way more complex than people think. And uh, we'd love you all to come and see our Link Centre so you can understand it and we'll take you through it because I don't think I can possibly summarize it in a way you can understand without showing it to you. Um, and, uh, you know, it's certainly an open offer to come and see us anytime you're in Calgary. If you want to come by the Stars Base, we'll be happy to give you a tour. So, so when I call 911, mm -hmm. who's going to answer my call? I thought it was Alberta Health Services was going to answer. It, so so, so it, went, went. it is. It is Alberta Health Services. But it's, uh, let, uh, I'm going to make you a rural physician for, for the day. So you have a sick person in your Peace River Emergency Department that you know needs to be moved to Grand Prairie or Edmonton because it exceeds the capacity and capability of the local hospital for any number of reasons. And so you would call, uh, you know, Ambulance Dispatch or 911 or Rapid North, which, which is a single point of entry uh, into moving patients in this province, uh, from this quadrant of the province. And then as soon as it's, it's identified the patient needs to be moved, they would bring in a transport physician. So we would be the first person talking to that doc, uh, other than the call handler that's doing a little bit of triage to figure out what the doc needs. And then you know, that, that doc is basically tells a story, and then we work in the background to make sure that patient gets to the right place at the right time. And that takes a pile of work, letting the doc get back to the patient. So, it, and, and then again, it could be moved by fixed wing, could be moved by ground, could be moved by us. It depends what the patient needs, and it depends on, at that point in time, the resources that are available. Because you can imagine, this is an unbelievably complex puzzle that you're trying to solve in real time. 24 hours a day trying to figure out how to move somebody that's really, really sick. And there's lots of patients that need to be moved. And so we've got to triage and figure out who's the best able to do that at any given time. And often it's going to be fixed wing, often it's going to be ground, and occasionally it's going to be us in this region. But all of the coordination for that movement uh, for sick patients, this is time-dependent or critical care-dependent patients, happens through a partnership between 911, Rapid North, and STARS. It's very, very complex. Okay, you had a second half to your presentation. Yeah, it was, it was almost the concluding parts of the bullet okay. there. Um, so really, the, the, really, it's about next steps. And I think it's us, we more importantly wanted to speak with council to talk about, you know, this is why. And it's about remediation. So whether, you know, it's whether the, the town of Peace River, along with the local hospital and partners, we want to look towards remediating the site. So we know we need to do it. The site was built up over years or over the last year or so, so it's restricted us. So now we have to look at if, if the town wants to build a site, then there are some steps to do that. And I think it's really important to say here in Peace River that this, the Peace River Hospital is, is, a secondary, is a secondary site for stroke therapy. So really important time-dependent cases where you want to be landing at the site rather than going to an airport, getting into a ground ambulance, coming here. So part of that is we have to think about Peace River as a secondary stroke center. 
uh, site. So that's so really about it's about remediation of next steps. Is about we will work with your local people here, uh, Mayor and uh, and your team to really think about what are the next steps. And it's really about we can't give you answers today because we know we need to fix it. If the town's willing, then great, we can support you. We'll get the partners working together, just like many communities in Alberta that have done. Uh, so that's really, uh, we want to leave that with, with you. Okay. And your council. Any uh, further questions? Your Worship. So that existing site, um, will it currently support an H, like I don't know what your designations are, H1, H2, H3. As it sits right now, will it support putting a dedicated helipad beside the hospital as it sits now as it sits right now yes um yes you could you could put something in there without some further um you know consultations and assessments and, and approach angles and some work that needs to be done there that would determine the level of um kind of h1 h2 h3 which is um those uh it's kind of a combination of the size of aircraft that would be able to go in there and uh, performance capability um, but yeah, given the location in terms of uh, the area built up around it, probably looking at what would be considered to be uh, an H2, which would have some fairly strict approach and departure, um, you know, uh, routes in and out, um, and then size component that would have to be evaluated with you know kind of measurements. And there's some trees in the area and that sort of stuff. But there is, there is, there is space. And then again, cons consultation with some of the um, some of the area, the the neighbors kind of surrounding the area to make sure that that's uh, something that's that's uh, workable and valley view was h which again one two three or no, not use an h2, two, 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 thing. So. yeah and that really is just about where it's primarily where it's located um the infrastructure size a lot of that stuff is very similar but some of the restrictions <coughs> for approach and departure paths and things like that are uh, that's where the criteria becomes um a little you know, a little stricter the way in and out. So a hospital on the edge of town, um, again, in a non-built-up environment, uh, there are some locations where we still use them as a temporary landing zone because there's clean approaches and departures uh, without presenting any, any hazard to people or persons on the ground. Uh, and there's some where we are on the edge of town uh, where we've got kind of 180 degrees of approach and departure paths. Those are typically um, registered, you know, just just registered not certified to a certain size or requirement and then as it you know kind of builds up around there that's where we kind of elevate it to what would be the this, this I guess the strictest by regulation uh, which would be the, the H1 so this doesn't really rate to our sister and Grand Prairie is building a new hospital and I'm assuming the existing hospital you land right at the hospital it's, yeah it's the thing yeah they're building a new hospital it's on right currently on the edge of town are you actively working with them to check your flight paths in and out? Like, yeah, like they, so you avoid the situation you've Yeah, so here. this doesn't become an issue. I mean, that, that will be certified as an H1 heliport, even though it, there's no area around it built up at this time, just to ensure that it is, uh, you know, that infrastructure is, is set. And you're protecting the flight paths in and out. Yeah, and, and a lot of that is work that we do as, as kind of uh, primary users, but it's an Alberta Health initiative primarily through their landing sites committee because it is their, you know, their property, their infrastructure, and we just work with them. So, yeah. Well, I, <clears throat> I feel like Star showed up tonight and threw a pitch at us, and then they want us to build, build you a, a, heliport, a, a, a helipad. That's, that's how I feel. Like I, I don't get it. Uh, why didn't you just come out and say build stars a, hel a helipad? That's basically what you're saying. So we came. So I'm 
if that's the way you feel, I can't well, change it is. Okay, I, We've come today really to explain the why. So why why today? Why not three years ago? So I think we've gained you, hopefully painted a picture of it's become a built-up area. Now it's about moving towards the next step. So if, 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 if the town is wanting to move towards that next step, you remember, then we'll work with the town and local partners to look at that. If the town doesn't want to, then... We'll continue to work in the background to move the patients exactly. by whatever means is necessary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. We're certainly not going to abandon the patients here, that's for sure. Nope. <clears throat> okay. Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you very much. Thank you. So uh, the uh, next presentation is from the uh, Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers. And... Uh, I believe it's Mr. Cam Sorensen, is that correct? Uh, Chris Montgomery, actually. Oh, okay. So are, are you here to tell us when the price of oil is going up? Or? <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> um, we're actually in the area uh, this week talking to six of the seven municipalities about uh, our views on the uh, review of the Municipal Government Act. Uh, so when we were up uh, first uh, to visit you guys a couple years ago, as part of our ongoing engagement uh, with stakeholders, you were actually one of the first municipalities to raise some of the uh, issues around taxation and uh, distribution of that uh, taxation. Uh, so it's in part to be responsive. Also, uh, we are meeting with uh, five of the six MDs and counties that uh, surround uh, the town. Uh, this week. Um, we've been out, uh, obviously, talking to government, the province, about uh, these issues, and uh, as well as AUMA and AAMDC, so wanted to speak directly with some municipalities as well. Um, and uh, we'll first provide a little bit of context around the downturn and what you're seeing uh, on that end as well. Uh, so my name is Chris Montgomery. I'm the manager of uh, Exploration and Production Communications and Engagement. It's a very long title. Uh, so thank you very much for having us, and thank you uh, for raising those issues with us a couple years ago as well. Uh, we've done a lot of uh, work on uh, the file since. Uh, so first, by way of introduction, uh, we represent, as the name would suggest, uh, Canada's oil and natural gas producers. Uh, we have just under 90 members, and together they produce about 90% of Canada's oil and natural gas. Um, I'll go through. I'll try to go through the economic uh, context uh, fairly quickly. I think you're all aware that uh, both oil and natural gas prices have come off dramatically since uh, a recent peak in uh, 2014. As a result of that, uh, our sector has reduced its uh, capital expenditures uh, quite dramatically. So in uh, 2014, the oil and gas sector invested $81 billion in capital. Uh, in 2016, uh, we just uh, released these numbers last week. We're expecting that that investment will be $31 billion. Uh, that's a 62% decrease and the single largest uh, two-year decline in capital investment on a percentage basis uh, since uh, our association and its predecessors started tracking capital investment in 1947. So it's significant. Uh, $50 billion is uh, by far more than the second largest investor in cap of capital uh, in the Canadian economy. That's the utility sector. And in 2015, they invested $31.3 billion. So we'll be just about that um, next year. Um, but it's uh, significant. Uh, and as a result of that, 
This is more a wordy sl slide, mostly saying the same thing, uh, but there's a bullet there on uh, our job numbers. So we estimate uh, that the oil and gas sector has lost 44,000 direct jobs uh, since 2014, uh, and most of those, of course, are in the province of Alberta. Uh, all told, direct and indirect, the sector's lost, uh, in our estimation, 110,000 uh, jobs. Uh, this slide I won't spend too much time on basically shows the difference between uh, the oil sands uh, uh, and non-oil sands from a capital investment perspective. And really to show that the conventional side of the business uh, has seen a more dramatic uh, decline in capital investment. And that's uh, because it's easier uh, to turn on and off that capital expenditure if you're drilling wells as opposed to uh, operating a large mining site, for example. Uh, but most of our capital uh, is invested in drilling wells, uh, and this kind of gives you that picture. So in 2014, we drilled around 10,800 wells across the country. Last year, we estimate that it was 5,230, and this year we're forecasting only 3,500 wells across the country. So activity levels will be off significantly. Uh, locally, of course, you're well aware of uh, the struggles of the sector. Uh, you had the cancellation of Shell's Carmen Creek uh, project, uh, and Baytex, uh, a few months before that, had announced that it was uh, stopping its drilling operations. Uh, I just did a quick kind of count, uh, so don't hold me to these numbers, uh, off of a website called boereport.com that tracks well activity uh, in North America. And uh, north of Grand Prairie and west of Red Earth Creek in March of 2014, there are approximately 128 wells drilled or being drilled. Uh, in March of 2015, that had dropped to 73. In March of 2016, there were only eight. Uh, so again, uh, this particular region is being hit harder than uh, other parts of the country and other parts of the province. So most of our message to governments uh, has been uh, the need to be competitive as a jurisdiction so that we can attract uh, investment uh, to protect jobs now and take advantage of the upswing in the sector when it uh, does come. Uh, and what do we mean by that? Well, if you look at where capital declines have occurred across the world, in 2015 compared to 2014, we saw a 41% decline in Canada. Uh, compared to 35% in North America and only 17% drawback uh, worldwide. So as companies are making decisions on where to invest their capital, even in the downturn, uh, Canada is at a disadvantage. And I've got a couple more slides that I'll show you on that front. We've also seen a challenging uh, policy environment uh, through uh, corporate tax increases, uh, the Climate Leadership Plan, which we broadly support, but uh, also recognize that it's going to add cost to the sector and are working with government to uh, minimize uh, that cost impact while meeting the objectives of the government. Uh, we also had a royalty review uh, that uh, you know, the government has announced its intent uh, not to have uh, a cost impact on government or on industry uh, going forward in the short term. Uh, we believe that's the case, but we're still working with them on the details of the, of the policy to make sure that that uh, uh, remains the case. Uh, as far as municipal taxes go, uh, we've seen uh, our tax bill as a sector in the province increase approximately $60 million a year, or 7% a year over the last five years. So we've seen a, a continual 
increase on that front. And it's actually the second largest form of payment to governments that we make in the province of Alberta at $1.1 billion. Obviously, most of that is, uh, the vast majority of that is in rural municipalities. Uh, yep. Um, so that increase, was it because there were more rigs and more lines in the ground and stuff as time went on, or are you saying that the taxes themselves went up just 7% with no increased drilling or whatever? Yeah, so that's all in. Obviously, there are more assets, um, and there's been more activity, uh, but we've seen these, uh, the actual rates go up across the province as well. Uh, particular parts of the province being worse than others. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about that as well. Um, and to give you a sense, when the Premier addressed the province on uh, television last week uh, to preview the budget that's coming this week, she indicated that uh, the government expects resource revenues uh, in the province, to the province, to be $1.4 billion this year. So our municipal tax bill will be close to uh, what the bill is to the province of Alberta. Uh, you know, assuming the accuracy of that. Um, our competitive uh, challenge is not uh, new. Uh, the Royalty uh, Re Review Advisory Panel uh, has a quote in its report that uh, indicated uh, by 2012 and 2013, close to 100% of the barrel's value was consumed by costs in various, form, in various forms. Uh, so, you know, as a result of the downturn, companies are driving down their costs, um, they're obviously, they're reducing the size of their workforces. Uh, they're uh, driving discipline with their suppliers and uh, within their or own organizations as well. Uh, the other story on uh, competition is really that, uh, you know, we're in this situation because the United States has brought on so much production of oil and natural gas over the last several years. And again, I have a slide uh, that shows that. Uh, but the United States is our only foreign uh, customer for our supply for our products right now uh, and so we're in a situation where we're competing with our only customer and that's why it's so important uh, from our perspective that we get pipelines built east and west uh, for oil uh, and that we're able to move our natural gas off the coast of British Columbia as well through liquefied natural gas uh, projects that are being proposed uh, this is kind of a complicated slide, uh, but I took it straight from the uh, Royalty Review Panel's report, and it's uh, some analytics that were done on behalf of that panel. And it shows uh, the, uh, the full report takes three kind of what they call typical wells, a uh, marginally economic well, a moderately economic well, and a highly economic well. So I just kind of picked the middle here to show you. Uh, and it shows a uh, moderately economic well in Alberta uh, compared to competing jurisdictions of, Saskatch of uh, Saskatchewan, North Dakota, and Texas. So at uh, $60 a barrel, which we're still a long ways away from now, a uh, company is getting a 2% return on its investment uh, in the province of Alberta. In North Dakota, uh, they'd be getting a 14% return. In Texas, a 20% return. And in Saskatchewan, across the border, uh, they'd be getting a 27% return. So if, as a company, uh, you have options as to where you invest uh, your capital and where you're drilling your wells, you can choose to get a 2% return on your investment in Alberta or a 27% return in Saskatchewan. Now, this picture is changing. Uh, as I mentioned, our, uh, our industry is driving down costs, uh, which... Uh, uh, you can see from the uh, bars, the capital expenditures and operating costs uh, eat up most of that. 
but uh, and uh, our construction costs uh, in 2015 versus 2014 came down 30 percent to give you a, a sense of what that number is. So we are driving that discipline. Uh, this gives you the picture of uh, us versus the U.S. Uh, Canada, over the last five years, has brought on 800,000 barrels a day uh, of oil. And we've seen our natural gas uh, production actually decline by 1.5 uh, billion cubic feet a day. At the same time, the U.S. has brought on 3.2 million barrels a day of oil. Total Canadian production is about 3.9 uh, million barrels a day. So in five years' time, they've brought on nearly the total Canadian supply to the market. And in natural gas, they've brought in 14 billion cubic feet a day. Again, just underlining the need for uh, new pipeline projects. Uh, so as part of the Municipal uh, Government Act review, uh, CAP uh, developed a tool to kind of look at the situation, uh, you know, municipality by municipality. And as I mentioned, we began uh, engaging uh, stakeholders, mostly through AUMA and AAMDC in the early going, uh, and in the past couple months, uh, talking directly to municipalities about uh, our views on that process. Um, I think everybody expects draft legislation from the government sometime in the, in the coming months, which will drive the conversation further. Um, so we have several asks of, uh, in the municipal policy space at the moment. Uh, the first uh, is with the current assessment year modifier. So we've seen assessed values uh, come down as far as the tax bill goes, uh, but a lot of our, a number of our members uh, feel that it hasn't come far enough down to reflect the true as uh, asset value. So uh, to give you one example, uh, in the southern part of uh, the province, we have one member who has gone to their municipal to a municipality uh, to say that they have to uh, make the choice to abandon their assets in that municipality because their current tax bill uh, on those assets is actually higher than the book value of the assets. Uh, so it's not insignificant in certain parts of the, of the province. Um, secondly, uh, through the MGA review, uh, we have been asking for a mill rate ratio cap on non-residential rates to residential rates. So prior to 95, uh, your non-residential rate could only be approximately one, one and a third times your residential uh, rate. That was removed in 95, uh, and we've seen that blow out uh, to varying degrees across the province. Um, the average of all municipalities is still 2 to 1. Uh, for rural municipalities, it's 3.7 to 1. Uh, and we have some municipalities, particularly in the northeast of the province, uh, where non-residential rates are 12 to 15 times what the residential rate is um, in the northeast. Uh, we've asked through the review that we not have a further splitting of non-residential classes. Uh, and we've also asked for centralized assessment for uh, machinery and equipment, as we currently have with linear assessment, uh, to try to ensure consistency and fairness across the province. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're well aware that uh, the largest uh, part of the discussion among municipalities at the moment is how uh, linear assess the linear assessment base is uh, distributed. Uh, so we've suggested that if there's going to be a redistribution, as uh, seems to be the case moving forward, it should be localized or regionalized, and it should be based on cost sharing as opposed, as opposed to some other formula. So uh, what, you, what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, so um, we're kind of, we haven't taken a position on what 
you know, the formula should be, but we want to make sure that any distribution is based off of actual cost of servicing so that um, it's not just on a percentage basis uh, or uh, necessarily a population basis. Um, and our concern there is that if you undercut uh, the uh, rural municipalities too much, then it will just result in an increased uh, rate on, uh, on industry as a taxpayer. So we, uh, we recognize that the urban municipalities uh, play a significant role in servicing uh, rural areas and uh, our industry as well. Uh, but uh, we want to make sure that that redistribution is based on uh, on cost as opposed to some other formula. So I don't know. Maybe you don't want to answer this. And if okay. you don't, don't, don't go ahead. I tend at the linear uh, tax assessment symposium in Leduc that a AMA hosted. Yeah. And I heard the presentation from AMDNC at that particular group. Yeah. They're arguing that they're already doing this. Right. That they're all doing it. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I go, there's no basis in reality in terms of what our rural neighbors are collecting in terms of land assessment, the cost of maintaining their infrastructure compared to us. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's not comparable at all. And, and then when I see this, I go, it, this is more or less saying we want to maintain the status quo. And I'm going, to, I, I, don't, I don't believe that that system out there is fair at all. Yeah, so I don't think we would necessarily view it as, as the status quo. We know that there's uh, disparity across the province. Uh, some are sharing and some aren't. Uh, and some are sharing to varying degrees. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's fairly well known that it's probably headed in this direction anyways. We're not, we're not set on what uh, the formula should be, how it should work. Um, you know, even if there should be a formula or if it should be left to municipalities to work out among themselves. Um, but we're saying that it, sh it should be facilitated along this way. Along this way. That could be a longer discussion, but yeah, yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> Although when I go when you go back uh, three or four slides and you look at Norway, there's really only one national tax, right? There's only one tax, right? Yeah. yeah. And there's and they still make thirteen percent profit to the uh, producer. Right. Yeah. No. And look, our uh, we have a number of cost issues as an industry in the province. It's it's certainly not just when it you know municipal taxes. Uh, as I say, we're uh, we're driving costs down. Construction costs did come down 30% in 2015. Um, so I think our members are taking it seriously, and uh, we're just looking for some help uh, where we can. Uh, again, you know, part of our challenge is that there is a big disparity across the province. So, uh, you know, one company has said to us in again a jurisdiction in the northeast of the province that uh, as they're looking to drive down costs to keep in business. 50% uh, of their operating costs are currently eaten up by municipal taxes. Um, to give you a couple anecdotes, right? It's a real challenge for some of our members in parts of the province, uh, not uh, in fairness as much here uh, in the Northwest uh, as other places, but it is a real challenge for some of our members. Um, so I think uh, this concluding slide... Uh, I don't think there's much that I haven't covered there, so I'll maybe just leave it there. And if we have time for questions, happy to take whatever questions you may have. So if you can go back to that cost sharing, cost sharing of what? <laughs> yeah, so it would be or, a, a, 
whose costs? <laughs> it would be a recognition that the urban centers are providing services uh, to uh, to our industry uh, and residents that uh, are in the in the rural municipalities. Um, Again, I think our worry, as most people's worry was going into this conversation, uh, was that there was the potential uh, for linear taxes to be sent uh, from rural parts of the province uh, to pay for infrastructure in places like Calgary and Edmonton. Um, and what we're saying is, you know, urban centers elsewhere, including, uh, you know, towns, uh, you know, not just cities, uh, have... Uh, obligations and pressures, uh, and uh, if there's going to be that redistribution to help them, it should be uh, going to help uh, you know those who are using the services. Uh, so it should be regionalized, localized. Um, our in industry pays 80% of all the linear assessment across the province. So uh, we don't, you know, we want those roads to be maintained, uh, whether they're in the urbans or the rules, um, where we pay them. Yep, thank you. There are none, Your Worship. Okay. Uh, that quickly takes us to unfinished business. Um, I think this first item should be quickly dispensed of uh, spring cleanup. Uh, these were the garbage bins, so there was some discussion three weeks ago. Uh, it was discussed further at the uh, Governance and Priorities Committee. And uh, I, I think there was uh, satisfaction that the, uh, the selected uh, low bidder would be able to do the job. And so um, I will allow Ms. Benke to make that motion since she made the original one. Thank you, Your Worship. So I put a motion on the table to accept uh, the recommendation of administration to award the supply of garbage bins for the spring fall cleanup to the Meston Group at an estimated price of $26,150. Okay, all in favor? Um, Under uh, unfinished business, the last item there is 2016 operating capital budget. Uh, Mr. Schramm will uh, speak to that. And there again, we three weeks ago, we had a uh, in-depth discussion on that and then uh, took it to the Governance and Priorities Committee for further discussion. So uh, I think this should be fairly straightforward now. Um, administration took uh, back the items that council had questions about and uh, made adjustments to the budget accordingly. So what uh, I have here to present tonight is a uh, budget reflecting council's wishes. Um, in the highlights, it, it um, again talks about the process that we went through for a zero-based budget. Um, current levels of services and programs will be uh, maintained. And the overall mill rate will increase by 0 0.1962 mills for residential 
and 0 0.1404 mills for non-residential. So this includes the 0.25 mil increase for the arena uh, dedicated reserve funds and with the addition or the increase in assessments uh, the overall uh, mill rate uh, to raise the same amount of tax dollars actually went down slightly. So what I have uh, to present is our municipal expenditures for 2016 will be $20,873,320. Capital expenditures, $18,801,237. For a total uh, operating capital budget of $39,674,557. And Right. And the summaries are attached to the back. So, so just to follow up on CAP's presentation, uh, non-residential to residential is still below the two to one. Uh, I, uh, I have not uh, calculated uh, that out. and look at that. At I think it, well, the mill rate is now seven point seven point two nine. Zero eight, I believe. Okay, and the res and the commercial non-residential. Uh, Thirteen point seven eight, I believe. Yeah. So we should be. So we're uh, we've already uh, granted cap their their ask. So, <laughs> but I see, I see Mr. Montgomery left the building. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, and questions from councillors? Okay. We'll, um, and I think the, uh, there is also a press release uh, coming out from our communications officer on, on this. Uh, but um, I'll take a motion on this, on this item. There's no motion. It'll be <laughs> defeated, I guess. <laughs> so, Mr. Mayor, I move that the uh, 2016 operating and capital budgets um, be uh, approved as uh, presented. As presented. All in favor? Against? Unanimously passed. Great. Um, so, and along, given that uh, we're we're putting uh, additional dollars towards the new arena, we'll quickly go into new business and uh, have the uh, the local uh, junior team uh, come up. And there is a request for decision regarding their grant applications. I think uh, uh, the coach would like to. Uh, speak to council on your worship i'm just gonna i'm declare a conflict here okay. as a director okay thank you ms banky good afternoon uh mr mayor and councillors my name is craig fox i'm the head coach for the northeast navigators and general manager uh first of all i'd like to thank you for considering us for the rfd um i just want to touch on a couple of our achievements this year the bigger trophy there is uh, the league championship, which is the third year in a row that uh, the Navigators have won that one. And uh, the 
the trophy below it there is the Alberta Championship that's only been won by one other team up north. That was Whitecourt in 2011. And out of 52 Junior B teams in Alberta, we're happy to say we're number one this year. So um, those are the accomplishments this year. We're off to Westerns to represent Alberta next weekend. And as mentioned, uh, that's in Regina. And as mentioned in our RFD uh, that... We're a little bit short of funds. Team doesn't always expect to get get to provincials, let alone to westerns. But uh, like I said once again, thanks for the consideration. If possible, we'd like to get a picture with the players behind you guys and uh, oh, put it okay. on our social media and whatnot. <laughs> and uh, just I still haven't got a. Uh, and I understand you're from the town of Whitecourt, but I still haven't got a picture of the. From a Fairview, Fairview uh, Council in uh, Navs jerseys. Yeah, I'm from the town of Fairview. They're supposed to do that. I talked to Gordon. He said he was he was going to do it. So they're supposed to. You do guys got to quit wearing them first. No, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if possible, we'd love to grab a picture there and okay. put it on our social media with you guys. And Why don't we do that? May I ask one quick question, please, yeah. Um Miss Shannon, the uh, I had seen some sponsorship levels for this. Uh, for the team going to Regina, I actually looked for them online and couldn't find them. Are you able to describe them to us? It's just basically being whatever people could give us. We didn't have a set sponsorship levels. It's just as people give us money. We, you know, there was a few 2,500s and a few thousands, and then one of the parents had pledged 500 and challenged the other parents. So we have, I believe, it's 12 of those. Thank you. Uh, just one other question. So you've won the trophy three times, so three years in a row. Don't they have to retire it now? Isn't it yours yeah, to keep? That's what that's what they say. But uh, supposedly the new one. There's going to be a new big one there, and the Alberta one. Like I said, that's never been in. Perhaps we should uh, take the picture, Your Worship, before you call for the vote. Uh, okay. <laughs> but but, um, but in, the, in the absence of that, I would put a motion on the floor that we provide the uh, Peace Navigators $2,500 from our uh, uh, Grants to Groups program. Okay. Well, well, all in favor? Okay, there you are. You're now Thank you very much. We'll do the picture and we'll uh, basically adjourn for the picture. So the new business is, uh, <coughs> the first item is a request for a decision regarding the Peace Regional Fire Chiefs Annual Conference. And Mr. Harris will speak to that. Hi, Worship and Council. The uh, Peace Regional Fire Chiefs Annual Conference will be held at uh, the beginning of May. It's the 17th uh, year this annual conference has been held here in Peace River. And it brings in firefighters from all over the northwest, but also even further south. Uh, it's four days of, it's two days of live fire training, and then also two days of workshops by international uh, presenters. Um, here in town, and uh, we'd just like to request uh, the council to enable the mayor or his designate to uh, bring greetings on behalf of the town of Peace River to the opening uh, ceremonies of, of the conference. 
Oh, okay. What uh, day of the what day will that be? That was, I believe, Friday, March the sixth. First thing in the morning. March the sixth. May sixth. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <I missed> it. <laughs> okay. Uh, May sixth. Okay. Uh, between myself and Deputy Mayor Manzer, we'll uh, we'll uh, figure something out here. Would you like a motion? Yeah. I move that uh, council enable the mayor designate to attend the opening ceremonies of the Peace Regional Fire Chiefs Annual Conference, bringing greetings on behalf of the town on May 6th at the Chateau Nova Hotel. Okay. All in favor? Passed. Thanks. Thank you. Easy. Um, this, uh, the next item is a request for a decision regarding off-site levy policy. And was this the one that was discussed a week ago? That's correct. Good evening. Good evening, Ms. Modi. So I'm here to present an update to the off-site levy policy. The update deals with two related items. First is to set limits to the applicability of the levy on subdivisions where there is existing development on the land. And the second is to amend the guiding principle for section 4.1.1 to acknowledge that payments equivalent to an off-site levy would preclude the requirement to pay future levies. So the off-site levy bylaw was uh, adopted in 2009 and most recently amended in 2015. In May of 2015, the off-site levy policies were likewise approved. Uh, the policy outlines the town's off-site levy policies and requirements to town ratepayers, administration, and council. And based on the, the bylaw alone, the off-site levy would require, as a condition of subdivision or development, would require that an off-site levy is paid as a condition of subdivision or development permit approval. However, Section 4 of the policy identifies a number of instances where the off-site levy would not apply when a subdivision or development permit is issued. Overall, the guiding principle for municipal off-site levy applicability is if a subdivision or development as determined by the town is not likely to place a burden on the road and or water and or sanitary and or stormwater off-site infrastructure, then the off-site levy does not apply subject to the approved policies. There are a number of policies that make it so that the levy does not apply. The majority of those currently deal with development at the development permit stage. And currently there is only one policy that deals with the uh, applicability at subdivision. And that means that the levy does not apply currently when subdivisions create parcels that are 8 hectares or 20 acres or greater. This places a considerable onus on other subdivisions, particularly cases where there is existing development on the land. Uh, it does mean that there are situations where there is existing development that wouldn't create new development where the levy would still apply. This includes a subdivision of an existing semi-detached building where we would create two separate titles. Currently that would trigger the off-site levy if it had not been paid previously. It could also be triggered on a subdivision that would create two separate parcels to facilitate infill development. And it would also apply in a situation where there was a, farm, a developed farmstead where the farmstead sub, being subdivided off would also have the, the levy apply. However, because there is existing development on the land, it doesn't really meet the guiding principle of 
offset levy applicability, wherein that we don't have the levy apply if there's not an increased burden on infrastructure. So we've proposed an amendment to the to the policy that would uh, further exempt any or make the levy not apply to any lands where there is a current development. So that has been added as section J in the applicability threshold table, which is on page nine of the policy. And that new policy reads as follows. Subdivision to accommodate existing development that creates two or more parcels of land where previous development exists on one of the parcels shall not trigger an off-site levy on the resulting developed parcel. This provision applies to situations including but not limited to a developed farmstead separation, the subdivision of an existing building to create separate titles, the subdivision of a wide residential parcel into two or more narrow lots where existing development is on one of the lots. However, the offsite levy shall be applicable to any newly created parcel of land with no existing development. So we're here today to uh, have Council approve the updated offsite levy policy as is drafted before you today. I've provided both a policy with the changes incorporated and one with the changes highlighted for your review. I can take any questions. Hearing no questions, well, I, think I have, I have okay. as we dis discussed in a break, I have an issue with the formatting used in this document. There, it's the right and left justified, and I'd like to see this and other documents we see just right justified because it's easier to read. And in this particular one, there's one place where the table looks really wonky, but but it just, I just, that's a personal preference and. I guess other people are way smarter than me have researched it and find it's ways to read documents that are right right justified. So are you going to make a motion to uh, accept the uh, the amendments as uh, as presented with the with the proviso that uh, the document be right justified in format? Yes, I'd be happy with that, Your Worship. It, it, it is right justified right now, and you're saying yes to that or no, no to that? No, it's right, it's right and left justified. Yeah. Like, if you look at the columns, yeah. they're straight on the yeah. right side and they're straight on the left side. Yeah. Whereas if it's right justified, the right side stays straight and the, the other side is ragged. It's depending where they're in. So what the word, the word process is doing is inserting extra large spaces to Can make it look so it lands flush on the left side, which... Well, I like the left side, not, not the right side. Sorry, sorry uh, Deputy Mayor. So that the left side is straight and the other side is the words and spaces are all standardized. I think if you put that in the same motion that uh, people might have different ideas on both parts of the motion. But Okay, so maybe you want to strike the... Uh, well, I, well, you make your motion. <laughs> well, what we can discuss, I'd rather see it, see us adopt it tonight as opposed to waiting for it if no, there's no other changes made, just just before it's finalized and put on the website, wherever, that it's it's left, left justified. So is this is this something that you would like to see done to all the policies, or is this just this particular one? As stuff comes forward, I'd like to see see, see, that, see that way. I, I just find it's way easier to read. read. Matter of preference, I think. 
There's one table in here, if you look at it, Councillor, it just doesn't, it looks really wonky. I, I'm not sure exactly which one it is, but. Can, can, friendly amendment, can you separate those? Because, I mean, my approval of passing this really, I don't want it tied to formatting of a document very badly because, well, first of all, is this not the format that we follow? Like, we're, we're approving content, not... Have we not seen all of our... Look, look at the table on page 17, and the, the, it says qualified infrastructure, and then the way it's, it's got... If you just look at that, you'll see what I mean. It just it doesn't read easy, and that's a really bad example, but it's the whole document is is, is formatted that same way. And it's, yeah. Page 17, I don't... Oh, you're talking about the words, relationship yeah. to off-site levy bylaw and capital plan? Yeah. That's 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 the format that I'd like to see corrected. So, right. I mean, I'm perfectly content to tr like I trust administration to make that change. So we can, if they would make that change, then we go ahead and adopt the wording. So maybe can we just change the motion to approve it with that formatting on table 17? Well, I'd like to see the whole document left left justified. You can prove the document, whether it's justified left, right. We can make You'll it fix it later. Okay. Then I'll uh, modify my motion that the council accept the uh, the draft um, policy as present presented. Well, I'll probably strike the word draft out of it. Okay. Or I think your motion is to adopt the policy as presented. Okay. All right. So. Um, Councillor Burr's motion is to adopt the policy, the off-site levy policy as presented. All in favor? Okay. Thank you. Uh, now there is a uh, third item is request for a decision regarding cost-sharing proposal. And this has to do with the intersection on... Uh, um, basically, uh, be uh, between the Pines and the CN uh, Yard, the intersection of Highway 684 and Highway 2 slash 90th Street. Also, uh, the Director of Corporate Services can come up to the front desk there. All right, so this is a request for decision uh, with respect to a the intersection at Highway 684 and Highway 2 slash 90th Street in the town of Peace River. Uh, currently, we have a developer, Peaceful Homes, who is working towards a development of residential single detached homes along 90th Street with a total of 49 dwellings. All developments in that area require a roadside development permit from Alberta Transportation due to their proximity to Highway 684 and 2. Alberta Transportation has issued three initial roadside development permits for three single detached dwellings, but has indicated that they will not issue any further roadside development permits prior to an upgrade of this intersection at Highway 684 and Highway 2 slash 90th Street. 
The need for the intersection upgrade may also impact na other neighboring lands that, uh, principally the Citadel developments, which is also undeveloped at this time. Based on Alberta Transportation's analysis of current traffic flows, i.e. not the flows that are being generated by new development, this intersection requires an upgrade. However, the intersection is not currently within Alberta Transportation's infrastructure plans. Therefore, as is their standard practice, Alberta Transportation is requiring that the developer upgrade the intersection. Inter is requiring that the developer upgrade the intersection. Uh, developers along Highway 684, namely in the Shaftesbury Estates neighborhood, have been required to upgrade intersections by Alberta Transportation in support of their development. And those upgrades have occurred previously without the town contributing to the cost of those upgrades. With respect to the intersection before us uh, today, the initial cost estimate for the intersection improvement is approximately $600,000. Uh, finalizing the design and the cost of the intersection is complicated currently by the railway crossing of that is the western segment of the intersection. The design of that segment, including any changes to the rail crossing, will have to be approved by CN Rail. Alberta Transportation has verbally expressed the possibility of cost sharing between the town and Alberta Transportation due to an existing project that is occurring in the town during the summer of 2016. Any cost-sharing agreement with Alberta Transportation will be between the municipality and the province, and Alberta Transportation has indicated that they will not cost-share directly with the developer. Therefore, to move this forward, there's a need for the town to present a formal offer to Alberta Transportation to continue to move this forward. And this would provide the town and the developer the certainty needed to move forward with the project. So we have a variety of different options for the town in terms of trying to move this, this concept of the uh, intersection upgrade forward. The first option is that the town does not cost share with Alberta Transportation and that the developer is required to pay the full cost of the upgrade. This is previous or consistent with previous town practice and it would represent no cost to the town or the tax base. However, this proposal probably means that the development will not proceed. Uh, we'll also have a deficient intersection that will remain and in doing so we don't leverage any Alberta transportation funds until such a time as this project makes it onto AT's uh, actual infrastructure list and we don't have a timeline for that right now. Option two would be that the town propose a, th a third, a third, a third or another percentage as directed by council cost sharing proposal between Alberta transportation and the town where the town's portion would be covered by Peaceful Homes Limited, the developer, through an agreement between the town and the developer. The developer would be required to pay a third of the cost up front and a third of the cost as development proceeds, with the town financing that final third. The advantages of moving forward with this is that it would leverage Alberta Transportation's funding, it would move the upgrade of the intersection forward, there would be no permanent cost to the town or the tax base. It would be consistent with town practice in that it wouldn't incur costs to the town. It limits the number of stakeholders involved in the agreements. However, this does represent a risk to the town and the tax base should the developer default on the final third of the cost. Option three would be another third, a third, a third cost sharing proposal between AT and the town. 
However, the town's portion will be covered by two neighboring developers, Peaceful Homes and Citadel Developments, and we would require both developers to pay a third up front. The advantages are that it leverages Alberta Transportation's funding, it moves the upgrade of the intersection forward, there is no cost to the town or the tax base, it's consistent with our previous practice. However, the disadvantage is that it involves two developers increasing the complexity of the agreements, which may slow the process, and in this case, time is of the essence, because we are leveraging funds that may be available in 2016 because of a project that's happening in 2016. Also, both developers may not have ready access to the cash flow needed to finance their contribution. The final option that we have to propose is that the Town of Peace River propose a third, a third, a third cost-sharing proposal with AT in the town, where the town's portion of the cost is covered a third by Peaceful Homes Limited and a third by the Town of Peace River. The developer would pay their third up front. The advantages are that it leverages AT's funding, it moves the upgrade of the intersection forward. Oh, there is a cost to the town and the tax base. Apologies for that bullet point that should not be there. And it is not consistent <laughs> with the town's previous practice. I have a bit of a copy paste issue going on here. Yes, it's very common. <laughs> yes. Um, and the disadvantage would be that it is inconsistent with the town's previous practice and it would be a cost to the town's tax base which we would have to find within the budget and there would be a potential cost of up to a third of the intersection upgrade which as I said we have a rough estimate but we don't have a final tally. So in the spirit of trying to support this development administration recommends that the council propose to Alberta Transportation a cost-sharing agreement between the town and AT where the town's portion of the cost is covered by peaceful homes through an agreement where the developer pays a third up front and a third as the development proceeds. So that would mean we would still have to upfront 200,000? Correct. And no guarantees we would get that back? There would be some risk, yes. So if AT is not going to go into agreement with the developer, they said it have, would have to be with the town, mm -hmm. so you're going to have two agreements, basically. Your proposal to AT would be that they pay a third and we pay two-thirds, and how we get our two-thirds back is they don't care. That's true. So so really, the agreement you got to put to Alberta Transportation is one-third for them, two-thirds for the town. Yes. And then we have to have a separate agreement with either one or both of the developers to recover our funds. Correct. So I guess my question is, where do we come up with the original 200000 Is that in our budget anywhere? So our portion of the funds... Um, when you look at it that way, it's strictly a cash flow issue. Um, if we had to expend the money in one year, um, the expectation is that it would be recouped in future years as the as the development comes on site. I understand the concept that Town of Peace Rivers got into those a few in the past, and that's why they no longer do those. Um, I guess my question was, if we, if it's a, a this year's deal, we have to come up with a minimum of $200,000 this year. 
do we have it is my question yes yes we have the funds to be able to cash front this um you know our one-third portion okay so the other thing that that came up was that this is entirely dependent on cn saying they're good with the plan which from what i understand transportation still working on the plans or they have this thing built they know what has to go there my understanding is that the developer has been working with uh, CN to develop a concept for the intersection, right. which absolutely still has to be vetted by transportation. This is early So they're, they're working with CN? So CN and transportation haven't talked? They've had a very minor initial contact. What's the timeline then? I, I guess what I'm yeah. getting at is this realistically going to happen this year? We're realistically trying to move it forward as quickly as possible, but I don't know. Okay. And it's it's uh, putting putting the pieces together. So uh, uh, so if we put a piece forward, then a lot of the other discussions can uh, can start in earnest. Mm -hmm. So I guess if we if we go to transportation and say, uh, as a council, we're willing to support in principle the idea of a one third transportation costing and two-thirds uh, town of peace river costing and in principle get working on it once the details are worked out then we'll sign the papers can we do it that way I'm just a little nervous about committing to a project where I see some development Problems both for the developer himself and for maybe transportation, even dealing with CN. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think there's a lot of unknowns here. I'm, I'm willing to go, and like I say, in principle, I think we can do that. But I think we need to see some final details. First off, we don't know what this is going to end up costing. You know, you're saying around 600. Well, 700 is around 600 too. So, mm -hmm. I'd like to see some more details. Is this an Alberta transportation project then? Like they would tender it, they, this would be their project? I believe they've indicated that yes, they would want to be the the lead on the project. So then, okay. It'd be an addendum to the to the contract they have with the with the company that's uh, basically repaving from here to to the airport. I don't think they have to go out for a separate tender. Okay. Um, so, with respect to this intersection, is is enough land owned by Alberta Transportation or, or somebody, not a private landowner, to accommodate whatever this intersection might look like? Yeah, I believe the right of way is large enough. I guess my other question is um, if the town does uh, sign on in principle on this and the town is upfronting one-third of the cost does that mean it's cost plus interest or whatever our carrying charges are if there are some is that the assumption yes the there'd be the um, interest charges or opportunity cost for for having to do that um, that's something that we would either build into what we would recoup or just um, absorb as a cost of doing business and trying to get a project going. Um, that's something that would be returned to council and um, to receive final direction on, depending on what the final overall project cost could be. 
I agree with Councillor Sawchuk. I'm a little bit hesitant um, based based on principle, but the one question I have is, well, the example of Shaftesbury Estates where that cost on that intersection was to the developer, we've never really done this before. What is the precedent that we're setting to future developments in the town for other areas for intersections? The developer is still paying for it. They're not paying for it up front. So that I think that's what you're saying is, is it's quote-unquote a creative way of getting around it. The risk is that we don't get the money up front, right? Yes. Or at all. Well, I guess, yeah. But the reality is, is on paper, <laughs> the developer is still paying for it? That is the recommended proposal. I'm certain that if the developer were here in the room today, he would probably be pushing for an option where the town was paying a third. Well, I'm sure he would be. <laughs> I, I guess my point was, like, for instance, m moving forward, if we if we did this, we we're almost looking like being a bank. So, would we be doing these loans to other developers at other locations? I would expect that every developer that would come forward after this would look for something similar. Absolutely. Although the reality is. Nobody, no developer has actually uh, done anything in this town for the last ten years. So, um, and and the developer is actually willing to put in a third of the cost up front. Uh, correct, Ms. Modi, is that's the impression that you've left. So, the, the developer is willing to sink money into it, which uh, so. He's putting capital costs into it, which makes it more likely that he or she will continue on with the, uh, the development. There'll be more incentives, certainly. Mm -hmm. I, I believe they've already paid their off-site levy fees as well, right? Many months ago, yes. Right. So on the topic of off-site levy fees, this capital improvement that's being made, so do we have the ability to charge any of these costs back to other developers down the road, like in Shaftesbury? This intersection is... Provincial jurisdiction is provincial highway, so it's so not can't, something that's we part can't of take our out portion. And uh, okay. it's also uh, to answer Mr. Ford's uh, or to comment on Mr. Ford's comment is that, and Ms. Modi emphasized it is this is this is this is an opportunity in time. We don't know whether Alberta transportation will come back next year, which is highly unlikely or come back 20 years from now, and the intersection, that question will always be there. So the Alberta transportation sees themselves being in and around Peace River, being able to do this at a pretty uh, reasonable cost, and uh, we finally get the intersection, which is holding up all kinds of development, potentially all kinds of development in that area. So, so is the improvement to the intersection actually turning lanes and that sort of thing? Is that what the improvement would be? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think the other thing to note, too, and I don't know, I mean, I guess we have to deal with these on a case-by-case -case basis, but, I mean, in a down economy, we've got a developer willing to invest in our community, and from what I can see, he's... Uh, fairly focused on using local contractors for the work that he controls. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. If there's a project that we can put people to work on in the town of Peace River right now, it, to me it's worth a risk of not getting a reimbursement on on the, the, the final one-third. But I'd like to see 
some development continue to happen. I'm curious why the third from transportation is that kind of their typical cost sharing for this? Why why wouldn't it be 50-50? I'm not sure that I would say it's their typical. It's based on the informal discussions we had where we believe transportation is willing to be. Okay, all right. So really what you're asking for is give me something to get this whole process started. Otherwise, everyone's going to sit around waiting for the next guy to, some guy to make a move. It is my impression that Alberta Transportation is willing to talk if the town is willing to open the conversation formally. But we need to have formal council direction to move that forward. Okay. Now you've made a recommendation, and uh, yeah, I I would concur that I if the developer was in the room, he'd prefer it be a third, a third, a third. So, and so how how do you think this will go forward? This I, I mean, in terms of the moving forward for the next step, I believe Councillor Sawchuk is correct that we need for sure the one third, two third. How we decide the two-thirds shakes out if we want to leave that open right now that's a possibility but we need to be able to bring something forward to Alberta transportation at least in principle could we tie something I mean if this developer doesn't proceed the land will flip someone else will buy it could we pass that third on to some future developers some in some way or shape or form yes um that's so that's one of the things so if council were to give approval to this um, there'd be discussions that would carry on and one of the opinions we would have to receive is how could we tie this charge legally to those parcels um, so if they do change you know whether it's through um, you know being able to transfer almost like a local improvement charge onto them and find out if there's a mechanism to do that to protect the town and safeguard um, against if this is not developed or or changes hands where the town is protected I'm prepared to make a motion put on the floor that the administration be um, tasked with approaching Alberta Transportation, uh, proposing a one-third Alberta Transportation, two-thirds Town of Peace River split on uh, proceeding with the development and costing of the um, intersection at Highway, whatever it was. 684 and 90th Street. Thank you. So, is it Alberta Transportation that approach? If that goes through, is it Alberta Transportation that approaches CN, or does the town have some discussions with CN? How, how? Alberta Transportation still has to CN has to approve the intersection design. So, Alberta Transportation will complete the design and take it to CN, and CN will say yay or nay. Although I believe the developer has already put together a design, and that's that was the reference that you made that the developers talked to CN. Would that be correct, or am I? But even if the developers put forward a design, C or transportation has to accept right. it, right? It's transportation's project; they're going to be the lead on it, and it's their right of way. So you know, the d developer can design whatever he wants, but transportation is going to have the final word. Does CN have to approve it, or they just not to, do they just have to not object to it? 
in terms of that leg, they have to be, they have to say it's okay. They have to approve it, okay. So there's still lots of pieces to fall in, so this is the first piece. Uh, I'm going to call for a vote on it. If, if I may, oh, okay, yeah. um, would Council be interested in tweaking the motion a little bit, where the province would um, commit to paying a minimum of one-third? Um, and maybe we could leverage that motion to see if there's the ability to get, you know, them paying, you know, 40% or something like that and see if... Right. Um, so I, I accept that friendly amendment. So could you read back the motion with Mr. Towns? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the will be tasked with approaching Alberta Transportation with the one-third town, two-third development split on the intersection at Highway 684 and Highway 2. I didn't catch what you said. Okay. So the wording would be... A minimum... Um, the province would be a minimum of one third. That's it. So that administration be tasked with approaching Alberta transportation with the province uh, um, response responsible for a minimum of one-third of the cost of the intersection. And the town of Peace River picking up the rest. The, the reason I, I mentioned that is um, this is a preliminary cost we have right, right now. So if we tell the province that, look, the town is willing to go in at $400,000 and it actually comes back at $700,000, then they would pay more than one-third. So that's a little bit of our hammer there in terms of what our maximum contribution could be. Um, and that would change potentially um, the funding relationship a bit. So just gives us a little bit of flexibility when we have those discussions. Okay. So I'm going to read it. Read the, the, um, the, the uh, Could you motion? Yeah. Okay. So what, what we have is Councillor Sawchuk moves that administration be tasked with approaching Alberta transportation um, uh, for the uh, for the inf intersection at Highway 684, 684 and <coughs> 90th Street. And 90th Street. Okay, uh, just put Highway 2 at 90th Street. Old Highway 2. Okay, just put it's Old. Old Highway 2. Okay, can we just say 90th Street then? Okay. Depends Take on what map you look at. 90th Street um, <coughs> with with the uh, with the province being responsible for a minimum of one third of the costs of the intersection, the town of Peace River versus uh, picking up the remainder. Just by period. And uh, yeah. And maybe just put uh, approaching Alberta transportation for the intersection upgrade at Highway 684 and uh, 90th Street. Okay, Do people know what they're voting on. Okay, all in favor? Passed. Thank you. Okay, so we now have 
a request for a decision regarding an in-kind request from Springfield School. Worshiping Council, um, administration presents an RFD in regards to a request for in-kind services of our public works department. Um, we've had these types of requests in the past. There is not a policy in place per se in regards to this, hence why this item has come to council table this evening. Um, the Springfield School Council or Parent Council has fundraised for some new equipment to be installed at the elementary school grounds. Um, this type of project, uh, they are requesting town resources of staff and equipment. And we're looking at approximately six hours of staff time and uh, small equipment on site. There will be no dirt removal or hauling from the location. They're redistributing whatever they uh, remove to the existing location at the existing um, Springfield School site. Uh, just to note that school playgrounds are included in our catchment in terms of public access locations, general playgrounds for the community to access after school hours. So we provide you with some options. One, to provide the request for support in kind um, with the approximate, we, we're approximating six hours of staff time and the appropriate equipment which is listed out. There is a value of in-kind of approximately $2,690 for this um, small project. Option two is to provide the financial support via the council grants and donation fund. Um, to the amount of the $2,600 approximately uh, to have the school council hire a, a contractor to do the work. And option three is to decline providing any of the two options above um, and have the group proceed on their own without support. This is the last option any an option? Not a great one. So um, this is based on a particular time. Correct. Uh, the, the, the town crews have yep. kind of set aside this time in their yep. busy schedule. They have looked at this because it's a not even a full day. Right. And it's within the next week and a half, I believe. So they're looking at the week of April 18th, which is next week. So they're able to include it because we're, we're not quite into moving into too busy. I guess the, the reason I asked that question is, uh, again, leading back to the possibility of hiring a private contractor to do it. Yeah. Has the school at all checked out private contractors? That I don't know. I think they came to us as the first option would be my feeling on this item. So again, um, I, I just kind of feel, you know, in, in the time when private contractors are probably looking for something to do, yeah. they might get a reasonable rate. They might, uh, you know, again, if they yep. have to do it next week. So yep. why why are we dealing with the parent council? Uh, just because they wrote us a letter, right? Uh, so and maybe a snappy response back to them as if they went to their school trustee and asked the elected official of Peace River School Division what they think of this idea. They, My understanding is Peace River School Division Maintenance Department is providing... Uh, project management, installation guidance. There's oh, some, the, some work. In addition to this? Correct. Yeah. Oh. So it, do, it doesn't say that. Um, it, it says it in the budget. 
And also in their letter, uh, the installation of the playground structures to be coordinated with Peace River School Division Maintenance PRSD staff um, aiming to be completed the week of April 18th. So PRSD is involved. My understanding is playgrounds are not the responsibility of the school specifically. It's typically school councils or a school advisory boards or committees of the schools and they have to fundraise for them because infrastructure's dollars do not go towards playground amenities for school sites. I totally agree with Councillor Sawchuk. I'd rather see some numbers from uh, from some of the local contractor because I'm not I don't think we're really in the business to take work away from our local people that are having their equipment sitting parked right now. Mm -hmm. I guess I see it differently. I mean, here we have a group of parents, town residents, they've gone out, they've raised some money, they're prepared to put their own swag anchor, they're doing stuff. I think for $2,600, we should enable it in Manhattan and not get into this. We should get contracts or that kind of stuff. I mean, it's $2,600 is not going to make or break it for a contract. I think we need to support this kind of activity by volunteer groups as much as we can so stuff like this can happen. I mean, you're making a motion, I'll, I'll make the motion that uh, um, that we, uh, Town of Peacecom, agree to support the in-kind request from the Springfield School Council of the site preparations for a playground at Springfield Elementary School in the form of public work staff and resources. decision on the 100th celebration for municipal district number 135. Um, this is basically a, a party invitation. So, Mr. Mayor, I would move that um, council enable mayor and councillors to attend the anniversary celebration of the MD of Peace at Le Cardinal Hall on July 16th, 2016. 100th anniversary. This, is this the same day as the air show? Could be. Jeez. Keep playing the music there, white boy. <laughs> okay, all in favor of uh, Councillor uh, Deputy Mayor Manzer's motion? And uh, your worship and council, uh, in that um, the letter, they also have two free dinner tickets uh, for the dinner in the evening. So uh, you'd have to find out who's going to do that one. And then that's the same with the next one also. Municipal District, uh, Spirit River 133, they also have two free dinners. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, CAO Parker, you can pick the two funkiest counselors and give them the tickets. Okay. I'll be good at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, <coughs> that now. This is uh, okay.
Okay, is, is this, oh, this is a request from the Municipal District of Spirit River, number 133, in the town of Spirit River for a 100th year celebration. Um, is, uh, so this is essentially the same, the same thing. Um, although I'm, um, are we actually going to enable counselors to go all the way out to it's not that far. <laughs> Could we possibly um, take this as information but send them a congratulatory letter of sorts? You can make a motion to that effect. I move that um, we uh, congratulate, or we send a letter of congratulations to the MD of Spirit River. And the town of Spirit River. And the town of Spirit River for their hundredth anniversary. And accept the uh, Im invitation notice uh, for information. And accept the information notice for information. Okay. All in favor of uh, Deputy Mayor Manzer's motion? Passed. Um, there's a proclamation for palliative care week um, and this is um, so so the uh, palliative care society is uh, is asking for a proclamation from the mayor and to have a photo photograph taken with the mayor um, yeah pop down to the office either Tuesday or Wednesday and uh, I just need a motion to uh, sign, uh, sign the uh, Palliative Care Society uh, proclamation. I'll put a motion on the floor, Your Worship, to declare May 2nd to 7th, 2016 as Palliative Care Awareness Week. Okay. And what about the rest of it? And further, that a member of the Peace Palliative Care Society be invited to attend the April 25th, 2016 Council meeting for the proclamation signing and, and, uh, and photograph. Well, how about for the signing? I'll, uh, I'll get a photograph with them. That's what Probably. it says for, or a convenient time for you. Okay, so we'll just leave it to what Councillor Ford said. Okay, all in favor of Councillor Ford's motion? Passed. Uh, number eight, we uh, we addressed. Um, so that now takes us to uh, program funding for the Farm Safety Center. Are we getting a new building in town? Farm Safety Center? Uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, this was a request for the far Farm Safety Center to um, provide assistance in a program that they run. Um, the Farm Safety Center is a nonprofit organization whose uh, mandate is to reduce injuries and fatalities in rural Alberta. Uh, to achieve this goal, an in school safety smarts program has been developed to individual classes of rural elementary schools students since 1998. Since the program was started over 18 years ago, over 500,000 children 
have been through the program. In 2015, the organization had 189 supporters, consisting of five towns and villages, 47 municipal special districts, and 137 industries and colonies. Uh, the organization is requesting an annual contribution of between $250 and $500 as the budget rea realities allow. A uh, simple form was proposed <coughs> to allow it, uh, identification of the 2016 contribution as either a one-time contribution with future funding decisions to be made year to year, a one-time contribution with addition to annual budgets being considered, and first of annual budget contributions added as reoccurring budget items. Uh, it's noted that the school, the schools in Peace River are attended by a number of rural farm children from our neighboring municipalities. So I've provided four options. Uh, option one is <coughs> a one-time contribution of 250 to $500 with future funding decisions to be made year by year. Uh, option two, a one-time contribution of between 250 and $500 uh, with annual budgeting uh, being considered. Third option is to provide 250 to $500 as the annual budget contribution added as a reoccurring budget item. And number four is to provide no uh, farm, uh, no support to the Farm Safety uh, Center program. Administration is recommending that council provide a one-time contribution of $250 with future funding decisions to be made year to year and that the expenditure of the 2016 be funded from the uh, council's grants to groups. Well, I'll turn to the person with the farm background on this on this panel, and uh, uh, Deputy Mayor Mazur, I'll allow you to uh, select the option. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I make a motion. Um, I would, uh, okay, move that council provide a one-time funding contribution of $250 from the grants to groups. And my motion would stop there, and if they apply year to year, then the council consider it. But I don't think we should keep it in our memory background that we should keep bringing it forth. Okay, so are you saying that every year we do 250 No, nope. I'm saying a one-time $250 for this year, and stop there. And then they, they apply, and yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, all in favor of Deputy Mayor Manser's motion? Passed. Thank you. Um, there is now a councillor request regarding the AAMDA fall convention, or should that the AMDC? Or is there a new... Uh, New Alberta Association of Municipal and Districts of Alberta or something, I don't know. Maybe there will be next week, but um, this is the AAMDC 2016 Fall Conferences. Right. So, Mr. Mayor, oh, I bring this okay. forward. Uh, There's a yeah, typo in the first line. Okay. okay. Um, bring this forward as... Um, for your consider uh, council's consideration, uh, we have attended these in the past, and uh, for the most part, uh, have some interesting discussions and building relationships with our uh, rural neighbors. So I am moving that the councillors and mayor be enabled to attend the fall 
AAMDC conference November 15th to 17th, 2016 in Edmonton. Sure, should we just make it two, uh, two council members? I was just going to make that motion. Yeah, I, so I was going to say in the interest of, I know we've been talking about some of these budgetary constraints, perhaps limiting it to two councillors and maybe the mayor if... Well, we'd include them in the councillor okay. package. Two councillors. <laughs> so if it doesn't cause a great deal of difficulty, I could, my motion could read that way. Enable two councillors to attend the AAMDC November 2016 in Edmonton. Conference in Edmonton. Okay, uh, I'm just going to call for a vote. All in favor? Sorry, so that the mayor and two councillors? Just two councillors. Two members of council. Two members of council. Uh, that takes us to, uh, does anyone need a break or we push forward? Okay, so that takes us to the check registry reports. Uh, any questions on that of uh, the CAO? Just curious, the Berwyn Radio Services, is that what the fire department uses or it seemed a little different, something I wasn't expected? I have no idea what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay, all right. Thank you. Okay. Nothing else? Maybe a motion to accept the check registry for information. <coughs> I'll make that motion, Your Worship. Okay, all in favor? Uh, we there any questions on the corporate services monthly report? Okay. Um, yeah, I'll just take a motion. Do or do people have questions? I'll move that it be accepted for information. Okay, great. All in favor of Deputy Mayor Manzer's motion? Thank you. That passed. Um, that now. Uh, so there are um, seven items under information. Uh, is. Pardon me? Or did it? Council reports. Oh, council reports. Oh. Mayor Manzer has a report. Mayor Manzer, please. Yeah, I saw that place and would like that one to be changed wherever it is. Um, so this is uh, some of the meetings I attended in March, and um, I think the notes are kind of explanatory, unless somebody yeah, has questions. Very good. Yeah. Oh, that's great. You've you've set the bar high. We'll now see if Councillor Ford um, uh, will be able to uh, meet the challenge here. So, uh, um, Councillor Ford, you have uh, two items here. Yes, I have two verbal reports, Your Worship. Um, as everyone was well aware, I left the one council meeting and attended the special meeting with council in Berwyn in regards to the gravel pit rezoning um, very well attended meeting there was over 30 people in attendance um, unfortunately only one from the town of Peace River with some written letters of submit 
some written letters. Um, they chose not to read them out as it wasn't a public hearing, but more of a, they described that meeting as an information gathering session. So it was a very well attended meeting by uh, the MD of Peace uh, residents, and it was quite, uh, if I could use the word heated, um, lots of uh, lots of opinions in regards to what's going on there. Um, and I'll just I'll leave that at that. Uh, the second report is from the RCMP Community Advisory Group. Um, in the uh, documents presented, you'll see a photograph of the uh, of the one speed reader board that has been purchased. Um, this was set up in the community of Saint Isidore as a test, and you'll see the provided report um, that goes along with that. Um, basically, what happens is they'll drive up beside the unit, and uh, they'll do a uh, a data download from the unit wirelessly so the report will will show you depending on how you set your report up you can you can if you have high numbers of traffic you can set that report up so it'll give you those specs every 15 minutes you can have it so it's every once an hour but uh, the other concern that was brought up is you'll get a lot of uh, younger people want to see how faster vehicles really doing so this unit is also programmed to shut down once it hits a certain speed, but we'll still record you and take that data. So currently, uh, we do have the one sign up. Um, the schedule is the schedule is for every $500 donation, you get to sign it within your community for a period of one week. So the Town of Peace River qualifies for three weeks. Um, just to make sure that's clear, because on the schedule that came out, um, they forgot that the Town of Peace River had a $1,500 donation and not a $1,000 donation. So that has been uh, that has been clarified, and it's due to come into the Town of Peace River here, I think, within the next week and a half, if I'm correct. So the uh, the the people that are looking after the sign have been in touch with. Uh, Brent Meyer, as well as uh, Deputy Harris, uh, in in regards to placement in, in high risk areas, and I did also received an email from uh, from our chair approximately about an hour ago, and there was another donation that has just come in from Weaver Welding. So we are now currently two hundred dollars short for purchasing the second speed reader board. Okay, thank you. Uh, does anybody want to make a verbal report on their activities? Uh, Councillor Sawcheck, it looks like he wants to make a report. No arena meeting? Okay. I wasn't in town last week, so I don't have any meetings to speak up on. Okay. At Alberta Transportation Meeting. Uh. Yes, Councillor Needham and I attended the uh, the session in uh, Fairview on uh, what date was that? I'm just trying to find it here. That was the Tuesday, Wednesday. the Wednesday after the Governance and Priorities Committee meeting, wasn't it? No. Nope. The 30th, wasn't it? The 30th. Yes, it was on the 30th at 1 o'clock. That is correct. And basically what it was is um, Alberta Transportation is um, 
well, Alberta Transportation, the province is revamping or re reinstituting some programs that have been cancelled. Uh, they're being uh, targeted for the years uh, 2017 and 2018. Uh, these are programs, um, fairly small funded programs, but deal with uh, local uh, airports, um, municipalities that have bridges and things like that. And, and uh, what they were looking for was uh, input as to how these funds would be uh, allocated. Uh, so whether it was allocated on a project basis or as a uh, everybody gets a little bit and uh, so it, basically what it was was a, a bit of a little think tank and, and you put your heads together and and uh, uh, made an assessment as to where you would see these types of projects and how you would see the money divided up so um, it was not that well attended. Uh, I think there was only uh, four different municipalities there. Uh, Town of Peace River, uh, High Prairie, High Level had two reps and... I don't think anybody from Fairview even showed up. It wasn't. Grand Prairie yeah. maybe, I think, right? Airport at Grand Prairie were the, were the people in the room. So... Um, not very well represented. They have taken this thing around the province already, though. They did uh, hit AAMDC, I believe. Did I get them all in there? Good. And uh, they were also planning to uh, hit the uh, AUMA uh, conference, but as that doesn't roll around until the fall, uh, they are going around to uh, different sized communities, um, and uh, trying to get some input before them because they want to make some get the ball rolling, I guess, basically. Uh, is there anything uh, you want to touch on top of that, or no? I I, I think I think you cap. I, I think we uh, the the community airport program, I guess, got a fair bit of attention. But no, I think uh, I think you've captured it. Okay, very good. Um, Councilor Brewer, you got anything to add? I believe the Chamber of Commerce manager, Mr. George Brothers, uh, passed along his uh, thanks to Deputy Mayor Manzer, Councilor Sajak, Councilor Ford, uh, Councilor Byrne, and Councilor Needham for their, and town staff for their participation and support of the, uh, at the uh, trade show. Right? So, uh, so that's, that was good, and uh, I understand you guys had some good discussion with the local local population, and talked about the budget uh, at that particular trade show. Okay, so I'll take a motion to accept the councillor reports for information. Councillor Orrin Ford, all in favor? So now we have seven items under information. Um, so the first one is from is regarding Rail Safety Week. Does anyone want to uh, make a comment on that? They're asking for a proclamation on that one. Oh well, then that probably should have been a business item, right? Okay. Um, so motion to uh, allow the mayor to. 
to sign uh, Rail Safety Week, I guess. April 25th to May 1st. So is there, uh, do you have a, a proclamation for me to sign? Yeah. yeah, it's right there. Yeah. Okay. So uh, motion to have the mayor sign sign uh, proclamation for Rail Safety Week for uh, April 25th to May 1st. All in favor? Of well, it's not really a proclamation. They've got a resolution there. Like, yeah, it's just I a mean, resolution of support. So oh, okay. I'm not sure what the difference is. I, I so I guess we can make a resolution and Adam can post it on the site there and promote it. Okay. Okay, so uh, you're going to, Mr. Ford, change it to authorize the mayor to sign a resolution for uh, in support of Public Rail Safety Week. Yeah, that wasn't very well done, was it? Sorry. So it was proposed by Councillor Oren Ford. No need for a seconder. Um, Uh, all in favor? Yeah, I, I guess uh, the if it's a resolution, the mayor doesn't sign it, and if it's a proclamation, the mayor signs it, I guess. Okay, we've resolved that difference. A uh, letter from the town of Fox Creek uh, regarding business license bylaw 736-2014. Uh, do we need to, anything there? Uh, <coughs> This one right here, um, uh, to give a little history um, back uh, to council, is uh, the town of Fox Creek um, decided to uh, implement a bylaw, bylaw 736-214. Uh, and what they're trying to do is uh, raise taxes on um, um, tran the transient population that are staying in the hotels. So it's like a, like a hotel tax, basically. And um, the, their thought pattern is, is because th they ha have to build up their capacity, their water and their sewer system, and uh, treat a lot more water, they, um, they thought what uh, they'll try to do is try and get a cost recovery because uh, the revenue generated from business tax uh, didn't quite uh, cost the, uh, cover these costs. So uh, they implemented this bylaw. Um, and uh, they were waiting through the process that it could be appealed. Uh, their uh, hotels have decided not to appeal it and actually go to court, but they said, we're not going to pay it. And so uh, they're probably going to now have to take some of their uh, citizens to businesses to court to actually ensure that this bylaw is upheld and they can collect um, revenue an extra tax. So what they're asking is they're asking a letter of support and it's it's not quite sure to me, I, like I read the first paragraph and, and I don't know if they're saying a letter of support and hence if it goes to court we will help them in this fight uh, or is it just a letter of support. Now in the letter if you actually read it it actually says well we, there are some successful bylaws but we didn't quite follow them. So um, really <coughs> I would be recommending not to actually write a letter of support, but it's uh, it is uh, it's going to be an interesting one. That's all I can say. So that's why you put in the information to uh, the, so a motion just to accept this. That's correct. The information yeah. is your recommendation. Yeah. 
But when you read between the lines, you're saying there are bylaws very similar to this that have been successful, but this one, this bylaw may not have been written all that well. That's correct. And uh, and also the way that the laws are. So it's... Uh, uh, it's it's uh, there, there are t uh, places like I, I believe Banff and Jasper that uh, um, the province actually recognized it and I believe they actually collect the funds uh, if I'm correct and then they give it back to uh, those municipal units but this is where the municipal unit is trying to collect the funds directly and uh, uh, I don't think it'll be very successful on this one but having said that you know there it's jolly good for them I'm not sure that I necessarily disagree with not providing a letter in, I guess, specifically re relating to the hotel tax, but the shadow population is something that, you know, we've struggled with too and tried to address. So, I mean, I don't know how we go about showing our sympathy for, and Fox Creek is an anomaly in and of itself just when you look at their policing, um, you know, they've got policing for 2,500 and a shadow population of upwards of 10, um, you know, how how can we support them? Because that does need to be addressed, whether it's through... I mean, the reason they're doing this is because we have no other avenues to address shadow population. So, I mean, I don't, I don't want to just say thanks, but we're not interested in helping you because I think we do suffer from the same issues so i don't know if we can look at potentially another solution but. so so another solution is is uh the uh auma is looking for resolutions uh by i believe i'm not sure if it's may 1st or may 30th to get onto the agenda so that is something where we can maybe go and look at a governance and priorities meeting and say okay what kind of a resolution can we put together and actually send it off to the AUMA to look at the transient population and, and trying to find is there some way that we can actually get some funding uh, to assist municipal units that have that issue. I think the MGA review, the fir very first draft I read a year and a half ago, actually spoke to a number of alternate revenue funding mechanisms for municipalities, and I was certain. Uh, Daryl, uh, oil field properties within your town, abandoned service stations, uh, landlords that don't live, uh, unsightly properties, and and the ability to charge a, uh, a fee was some of those things that were talked about. But whether or not they'll ever see the light of day is um, well, yet to be determined, I guess. But uh, I, I think the AUMA is certainly Fox Creek can go to AUMA and put a motion on the floor and it can be debated but I, I believe the MGA had some other stuff in it as well but I thought there was a resolution at the AUMA within the last couple of years dealing with shadow population was it not for discussion I it it may have but it may not have been tied back to a so-called hotel tax I think the the shadow population motion that I recall Call was the the timing of when they the count, census when they right. count people right. and they typically count after spring, spring break up, up and get a, a yeah. lower number yeah yeah and but, and Preta did a a pretty in, intense um, review of the shadow population specifically for Fox Creek because they were having so many issues um, 
and a lot of it related back to the law enforcement side of things. Um, yeah, if you want to bring forward, you know, the possibility of the town putting a resolution, I mean, it may be addressed in the MGA, but I still think the government needs to know that that's one thing that need that absolutely has to be addressed and can't be taken out of, you know, another draft of the MGA. So I think they need to know how much impact this has, especially on the smaller communities. Fox Creek gets a lot more assistance from the rural neighbor than and from the oil and gas companies. I know they had a fairly substantial uh, assistance with their new water system they're putting in there. I, I think the basic oil and gas companies are paying for it completely. And then you know, they get at least $2 million a year from uh, the MD of Greenview just because they're there to help deal with this stuff there. So I, I agree philosophically with they're, what they're trying to do, but I, I'm not sure if this is the way to deal with it. So so I guess I don't know if you want to, I don't know if you need a motion for that or, or what have you to look into providing us with. What I can do is we can, uh, you know, we should maybe just have a motion to develop some kind of a resolution. Resolution. And, and, we, and, and bring it back to, uh, um, I guess it would be the next well, we can discuss it at the GMP, yeah. P next GMP meeting. Yeah. But although we need to look at the timeline. Yeah, I just want to make sure the timeline is there so I don't want to get tied on because it might have to come to the next council meeting. Right. Because I okay. can't remember if it was the 1st or the 30th that we had to have that in. Yeah, because the 2nd is our P&G meeting of May. Yeah, uh, Yeah. so let, I, I'll double check and uh, so just bring it back to a future meeting. How about that? Okay, and then, so and then, yeah. have administration yep. refer this to a future meeting to provide a draft resolution to AUMA in regards to the effect of shadow population and, I don't know, potential remedies? Yes. All in favor of Councillor Benke's motion? Passed. Um, there is now a... Um, uh, the next item, um, and you will probably want to speak to this, uh, Mr. Parker's letter from the Alberta Municipal Affairs Department regarding the Intermunicipal Collaboration Grant for inter Information Technology Health and Safety. Uh, yes, um, if you remember, um, one of the first things we did uh, when I arrived is we looked at uh, trying to partner up with a couple of different municipalities and uh, look at some ways that we can um, get some funding to specifically address issues in this region. And uh, we had some issues in the health and safety slash IT area. So we did uh, submit a um, um, Alberta Community Partnership uh, a grant. Uh, with the town of Flair, and um, we were we were one of the few places that uh, was selected. Um, and uh, town of Flair is ex extremely excited to be working with us on this project, and it's a total of seventy-two thousand uh, dollars, and we'll be matching it with seventy-two thousand of our own, and with the town of Flair. So, uh, a very good project to move forward, and uh, we're extremely excited. Um, somebody may perhaps make a motion to accept this item for information. Nobody wants to make a motion to accept this particular item for information. Well, well, there's a couple other ones here that, so maybe uh, just we'll just since we're going through them one by one, might as well just knock them off one by. So who's making that? I'll make a motion. I'll make a motion to accept the this letter for information. Okay. All in favor. Uh, the next item is a letter from the Peace River School Division, and 
Does Councillor Benke or Councillor Sajak want to speak to this one? This is a letter from the um, Division. Yeah, I think this is, well, I know this is <laughs> an outcome of a meeting we had with the school divisions basically when, uh, as part of our uh, arena um, committee uh, group, we talked to the different school divisions to see what their future uh, plans for expansion were when we were trying to pick a location or narrow down the possibilities of locations for uh, the new complex. Uh, so we spoke to the school divisions and basically asked them where and their growth projections were going to be and uh, what they thought of you know, repositioning the arena somewhere else. So this is a letter in response. This is uh, Peace River School Division uh, number 10's response that they don't foresee any uh, significant expansion of their facilities outside of the current locations over the next 30 to 40 years I think is what they said so that uh, they would prefer that the uh, new arena complex be basically left where it is okay. um, <coughs> perhaps a motion to accept that letter for information Council so moved okay. all in favor of Councillor Mankey's motion she had her hand up before you were <laughs> No, it's me. Uh, there's a library information bulletin. Uh, do any of the two library reps want to speak to that one? Just information. Just information. Although uh, the board, the regional board, is happy that Village of Drewville is now joining. So there's 39 um, member libraries within that group. So. There will be books going to Jerusalem. Uh, yes, and digital resources. The second last paragraph. Uh, that's on its way upwards. I hope you got you got some French books in there. I'm sure you can go to the library and you can just about get any language you want in some fashion. Okay, so maybe a motion to accept uh, uh, the uh, library information bulletin. I will move that. All in favor. So, uh, Mr. Needham, we have a letter from the Peace Regional Waste Management Company dated March 21st, 2016. Do you want to speak to that one? Or do you want me to speak to that? Or do you want Mr. Bird to speak to that? I've read that stuff. I'm not sure where the northern Sunrise County's counselors are coming from. I, I don't follow their logic, so I... So, so the, uh, the context for the other uh, counselors is that the Peace Regional Waste Management Company um, uh, asked their administration to draft up a code of ethics because uh, one or more counselors were going, uh, communicating information uh, in a uh, frivolous and vexatious fashion uh, prior to uh, the the minutes of the meeting being being approved, and um, the uh, then there was a so when that was discussed, uh, one of the counselors from Northern Sunrise County made a motion to direct this this uh, 
this code of ethics to for review by the uh, the participating municipalities. Um, their own council submitted a letter that said refer to section 23 of the MGA or 153, um, which doesn't seem to uh, speak to uh, any code of ethics. So I think um, perhaps the motion from this table is to have administration right back and, 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 and say that uh, a letter that uh, says we've reviewed it, uh, we, we, we strongly support a, uh, a code of ethics, and uh, we have also, and, yeah, we support the uh, Peace Regional Waste Management Company. Developing a standalone code of ethics or a code of ethics. So is this for is this yeah. for the counselors that are on this board or the staff yes. or yes. both? No, it's, it's, it's for counselors. And the one response you got was from Northern Sunrise County from the Reeve. And they took the position that the MGA covers all of this stuff. Well that's not the case. If if you if you read this carefully, uh, especially when you talk to loyalty and duty to the part-time company, the the, the MG doesn't talk about that at all. So I, I think this is a part-time company. It's we're trying to grow up. We deserve our own code of code of ethics and uh, and our own policy. I I don't you know we we're sort of somewhat arms length and divorced from municipal government act. We are under the municipal government act as a part-time company, but. Um, the spirit of what's entailed in here is not covered under the MGA, so I, I think we need our own set of guidelines. So I guess at that point, why wouldn't you just do your own thing and why do councils have to be involved? Good question. The motion uh, to send it to the participating councillors was made by a, by a councillor from Northern Sunrise County. So playing off with deputy mayor just said can't we send a response back that says that this is an internal thing for the waste management corporation they should say or sort it out themselves yeah you know i i you could yeah well, I, think, I think the other thing is significant they quoted section 54 uh, one of the things it said referred to is section 153 and section 6 there it talks about but it limits their uh, their information to uh, participating council meetings and council council committee meetings and meetings of other bodies to which they're appointed by council and uh, again I don't see the connection because it's a part nine company it's a totally separate separate company that they're they've been appointed uh, Actually elected to by by the, their individual council, so I I don't see how it applies. The MG doesn't apply. I, I fall back to uh, Lac Cardinal where they have the same thing. They set a policy basically because yes, you have uh, people on there that are government officials, but you also have people on there that aren't yeah. government officials, and they are not governed by the MGA. Yeah. So I mean, maybe councillors are, and maybe they have a right to you know. Yeah bite their tongues until things are made public, but that doesn't follow for the rest of the members of that board. So if that board chooses to make their own uh, policy, then they certainly should be able to do so. 
Okay, so you're going to make a motion to uh, to have um, administration um, respond back that uh, we that um, Peace River Council um, is of the opinion this is an internal matter that should be determined dealt by with by the board of directors of the Peace River Waste Management Corporation. I guess there hasn't. We're still in the d debate discussion stage, right? I I would somewhat take an opposing view, and I'm reading what Mayor Tomlinson, or pardon me, Reeve Tomlinson wrote in his letter, and I would just take an opposing view, and I I would just say that we do support the proposed draft policy as suggested, um, and leave it at that. Um, he has his opinion. I have mine. Uh, so he, he's taken the position that the MGA is uh, adequate. Um, I would suggest that the, the proposed draft is adequate. I guess if we remain silent. Uh, I, I, I don't think we're remaining silent. I think we're saying that this is not the place for the Town of Peace Rivers um, Council to, to make that decision, you know. Uh, again, you, as a member of that committee, can certainly sit down with Reeve Tomlinson and have and your discussion, but have it over your table, not ours. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure how the Reeve then chose to weigh in on this. I mean, they they took the position to weigh in on it and say what he said. So, uh. You look at Section E there. It says there. this is the... The councillors have the following duties, section E, is to keep in confidence matters discussed in private at a council or council committee meeting until discussed meeting held in public. Well, the meetings of the waste management company are not either of those, and so there's no obligation using that for them to say they have to keep stuff in confidence. And, that, and that, I think that's the crux of the issue. You know. But again, why are we having the discussion here? That's that's for the board of the waste management committee to decide. Yeah. I mean, why does it have to come to each individual council? It's what I don't understand. Well, I tend to agree. You, however, the board voted, passed them or whatever, directed administration to write each council to get the views of the council. So our view is, or my view anyway, is that it's not our call. Okay. Mr. Sawchuck, did you have a motion? Yeah, you did. I thought so. <laughs> you want to read it back? Motion to have administration respond back that the Peace River Council is not is of the opinion that this is an internal matter and that it should be determined by the Peace River Board of Directors of the Peace Regional Waste Management Company. I well, I don't know to discuss it. I think, you know, for us going back to that net meaning discussion, you know. A stronger voice from our council saying no, we we don't accept this. We think we should have something would would give us additional support as opposed to saying, well, no, you guys sort out. But because they have support from their council, their council voted and made a motion to say we believe the municipal government has precedent. If our council doesn't take a contrary view, then I, I think it, it makes us a much weaker position at, at the next. I board would meeting. I would say that we have elected or nominated you guys to sit on that board, so you, as representatives of this council, can take that position forward, if that's what you choose. Oh. 
I, I, what I don't want to see is a little mudslinging contest between us and the county over just another silly thing that, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, should be ironed out by you guys on your committee. So I, I, I don't need to see this in the press that we're yeah. fighting with them over yeah. the Waste Management Board. Okay. So we're ready to go. So what what will happen at the Waste Management Board? This will come back and there are five five votes sitting at the table, depending. <laughs> and there'll be a, there'll be a vote, I guess. Uh, well technically there's seven. Yeah, well okay. Uh, so it still comes down to the town of Nampa. But even from what Councillor Sawchuk said, sitting sitting at the at those meetings, you probably bring up the same point as what as what uh, Councillor Sawchuk said about okay, well the MGA will cover elected officials, but those people that aren't sitting at that table, maybe that's why that uh, policy needs to be drafted. But there's no one there. Like the 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 board consists of three from the town of Peace River, three from the Northern Sunrise County. One from the village of Nampa, so there is there are not other other members there. So that's it's similar to that cardinal, but not totally separate. It's a partnering company, which again I I believe would should force us to have our own policy. And no else. administration, but they don't vote. Okay, but still, policy would policy would cover them because they attend yeah. the meeting. Yeah, whether you vote or not, basically the policy is trying to keep you not to keeping everything non-public until it's supposed to become public. Okay, I'll call for a vote on it. All in favor? <coughs> Opposed? Uh, uh, that motion is passed 5 to 2. Okay. Um... The other item is the minutes of the Peace River Museum Board, and um, uh, Councillor Sawchuk is a member on that board. Is there anything in those minutes you want to highlight? No. Um, <laughs> I, I think they're all there. You guys can read them. Uh, if you had any questions, I guess you can raise them, but... Uh, um, we meet uh, every second month, and those things run from uh, last July to January. So, uh, again, I think uh, they're for your pleasurable reading if you, uh, you know, care to do so. Okay. Somebody want to make a motion to accept those minutes for information? I will do so. All in favor? Passed. Are there any notices of motion, Mr. Parker? There are none, Your Worship. Okay, and uh, so we've introduced uh, uh, a period here in the agenda now that members of the public can uh, approach the microphone and, and voice their complaints, concerns, or even some bouquets, if they wish. On, on anything on the agenda. On That's anything on the agenda. That's correct, sir. Okay. Okay, um, and seeing no public approaching the microphone, I will move on to uh, key communication items, and I will uh, 
allow uh, Mr. Taylor of the uh, of the free press <laughs> to uh, to uh, maybe just highlight or to maybe uh, just tell us what he thought was uh, might be of interest to the public and if he wants any uh, any uh, time with counselors. Oh, okay. Except for me running a tractor into a barn uh, wall. Okay, that's that's just a near miss. <laughs> it also meant I didn't have to drive the tractor anymore. has finally filled their position. And uh, Diego, you are the new uh, Record re Gazette reporter. Of course, and I, I just want to say it's a pleasure to be here to meet you all. Um, all I'm really asking right now, uh, I've been sitting back and just watching, and, and like I said uh, a little earlier, you can tell five minutes for a good town council. Um, you guys are awesome already. <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, we. Um, yeah. So, um, is there any uh, stories that you're keen on uh, getting out there this week? This week? Well, your I deadline's on Friday, right? 
Oh, it's Sunday night now, boy. Okay. Uh, today and, and retired. That's why I actually ended up being a little bit late. Okay. Sorry. Uh, but I'm looking forward to getting in touch. Okay. Thank you all. Uh, I hope to do so in the next right. day or two. It's all right with you. Right. I'll definitely stay in touch. Okay. Great. Uh, so you just started today or? Uh, uh, last week. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so so you, you know Adam. You've met Adam Dietrich, our communications coordinator. Okay. And Great. Yeah, just uh, if you want to set up some interviews, uh, or uh, just go through Adam. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, with that, we'll uh, um, we're gonna. That basically takes us to the in-camera items, and so we'll we'll uh, we'll uh, break here for five ten minutes. Give people a 